And then I come on, and then I already had, like, a thing of vodka, and then I just chugged my drink. I had a Xanax. (laughs) And then, so I, like, chug that, and it started to hit me. And then at some point, I remember going upstairs while they're still recording and, like, grabbing the vodka out of the freezer and just bringing it down to where I was recording and then having it next to me the whole time. my God. I mean, this is explaining a lot. This is what happens when um, you let a stoner record a podcast with a couple of drunks. Welcome to May We Geek Again, a podcast where we cover sci-fi TV shows through the lens of philosophy and dick jokes. My name is Bubbles, and I'm joined by my fantabulous co-host, Shaheen, and special guest, Amy. Hi. Hey. This is episode 88 of our podcast, and we're going to be talking about the 100 season 7, episode 7, The Queen's Gambit. You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. We also love fan feedback, so feel free to come yell at us on Twitter at MayWeGeekAgain or at MayWeGeekAgain at Gmail. And of course, we always post the episodes to Reddit in case you guys enjoy long-form discussion. Great to have you guys here. <laughs> we usually start with giving some information about ourselves and a quick icebreaker game. This week's icebreaker game is What Would Make You Join a Cult? Who wants to go first? Yes, I go. I guess I'll go first since I'm the new girl. Yeah, guest goes first. Well, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Amy, as Bub said, and I have been in the 100 fandom since the dawn of time, which means season one. Um, I've kind of... <laughs> old timer. <laughs> old timer. Kind of fallen off fandom a little bit, so I had to do a lot of homework to be able to take Joe's place on this fan pod. Uh, so I'm like Joe Light. <laughs> In which I'll philosophize about dick jokes. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, I'm, that's, that's and cool. I'm live from Washington State, in case you needed to know where I'm from. And you can find me on Twitter at aimnickrob. Oh, and then I have to actually answer the question. Yes, you do. Um, I would, I'm pretty easy when it comes to joining cults. Not that I've mm-hmm. ever joined one before, but like. It's just not asked. Yeah, no one's asked me. That's actually, yeah, good point, Bubs. Uh, but like, for the good clothes and if they had good food, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, okay. Awesome. I think that's a great answer. Like, I, it sounds like it's just like college forever. Well, like, yeah, and I like, I kind of like matching wardrobes, and if they're like really airy, flowy robes <laughs> and stuff like that, like Bardo really is appealing to me in many ways. I mean, they're completely filled with gap body. <laughs> I bet they smell like dream. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, Shaheen, would you like to go? <laughs> sure. Hi. Um, my name is Shaheen. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I, uh, I'm a doctoral candidate at the University of Pittsburgh. I study philosophy of science, history, and philosophy of physics. I, oh, I write a blog. No. <laughs> I wrote a blog at uh, freefloatingperspective.wordpress.com. Anyways, I for as far as um, cults, so the notion of a, of a cult is a little ambiguous. Like you know, 
Um, there's you can argue what is exactly a cult, what is a religion, what, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that usually defines cults is that like you worship a person or like a personality, real or imagined. So like, um, I mean, usually they have to be alive or like at least believed to like be able to bring back to life, <laughs> like Bill Cadigan. Um, so like you'd be worshiping like a specific personality and uh which you know raises questions about certain religions but um then i guess uh, my condition would be if that person is me i would join that club (laughs) (laughs) so if people are worshiping you you would join that cult yes that would be perfect (laughs) it's kind of funny because as he was saying that i was about ready to like posit the question of but wait shaheen what if it was you that was the one that was being worshipped (laughs) and are you you asking I, I saw that coming. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, dudism. Is that a cult? Dudism? Yeah, dudism is a religion. Uh, the Church of Latter Saint, Latter-day Dudes um, <laughs> is a religion based off of uh, Jeffrey Lebowski's lifestyle uh, in the Big Lebowski. It's a real thing. Wow. Oh my um, God. I, I'm kind of mad now that I'm not a part of that cult. <laughs> i didn't realize that was a thing and so now i'm gonna be researching after we're done here (laughs) and hope they ask you and hope they ask me yeah it's easy to get ordained yeah i mean i feel like i have some qualifications for at least two years in a row i dressed as the dude for halloween so (laughs) awesome yeah that's that's you put that on your resume (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah that's nice. Cool. Okay. So I'm Bubbles. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Bubbles, the number zero, and then L-U-V. I am usually in New York City, but for the foreseeable future, I am in San Diego at my parents' house, and my mother tells me to clean my room from time to time, and I say after I finish my homework. Um, and so what would make me join a cult? Um I think a little bit of what I said before, like if I could just go back to college forever and like there's like seminars about like, I don't know, ghosts and paranormal stuff, which is like infinitely interesting, whether I believe it or not, um, I would totally join that cult, especially like the food would have to be good. And so would like the mattresses and they'd have to have like private bathrooms. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. Right? Okay, but would you join Air Shaheen's cult? Would you join Shaheen's cult? What, if it, he didn't give specifics. If it's just about <laughs> worshiping him, like I'll say like a maybe, but like I need to, I need like a pamphlet with what my suite is going to look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, the food menu and everything. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. It's going to be lots of Persian food and mm. yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I do like Persian food. Vegan options, you know, since I'm vegan. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Queen's Gambit um, director is Lindsay Morgan, who we all know plays Raven. Um, this is her first time directing ever, um, and I guess we'll talk about it in overall takes. But yeah, whatever. Writer Miranda Quoke. She's been around since I think it, season three, four, season four. I think I think she came on, yeah, either season four or season five. She's like a late addition. Okay. I think probably four, because I feel like I remember her well, but I, I don't know. I always think, like, my memory's precise, and then it's, like, not. <laughs> um, 
So, overall takes. <laughs> that's uh, that's really ironic. Why? You don't remember that your memory is not good. I know. <laughs> Our brain just like thinking about itself all the time. <laughs> um. So, overall takes. What did you guys think about this episode? Um, God, my notes are like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're at a severe disadvantage. (laughs) I mean, yeah, sure. A lot of that. I tried to like, I tried to go back and like read like little like reviews of each episode so I could get like some sort of like semblance of like, okay, here's what's going on. And and it's fairly easy to like kind of follow that. Mm -hmm. But um, like, I don't know, just being someone who's watched this show for so long so many of the things it feels like that they were trying to do, um, like some of the flashback stuff, um, some of the conversations like uh, Octavia, you know, mentioning an incident that happened in season three, um, you know, mentioning stuff that happened, you know, in season five. It just it's, it's so much of it is just uh, too little too late um, mm-hmm. on so much of what they're trying to do in their final season. Uh, everything just feels disjointed too. Like the two story, they used to be a lot better at um, connecting like, you know, their A story to their B story to their C story. Mm-hmm. But now it's like every time it cut to Sanctum, I was like this, I don't understand its purpose at all. <laughs> um, and they try to like jam in so many like different like little sci-fi tropes or any sort of tropes and it's just executed just so ham-fisted and I think I was like calling it I think in my notes I called it like the diet coke of sci-fi but I felt like that was like insulting to diet coke so I said it was like the (laughs) off-brand cola of (laughs) sci-fi like the RC cola Mr. Pibb of sci-fi no offense to anyone who drinks Mr. Pibb but I think Mr. Pibb is like a better substitute than like the off-brand Pepsi is to Coke. But that's really just, okay. I don't okay. mind it that much, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's my hot take. Cool. I mean, I think that we've all for the past few um episodes of the pod in episodes of the show, um, have been talking about it's like a little clunky and it doesn't like some scenes are like, do they know what's going on? Like they do know what's going on, so why are they like so chill? Like this does not make any sense. Right. Um, and actually on uh, I don't know if it was an interview for this or if it was um Lindsay Morgan did like a, a live on Instagram during the episode. Um and I she discussed on either one of those um that yeah, like something happened halfway through and they had to basically rewrite the season. So I guess I'm assuming that that's why everything sounds disjointed. <laughs> um so yeah, um, I'm kind of curious to like because she said that and it was so broad, you know, like they had to rewrite the entire season, like like mm-hmm. all of it, or like you know what specific parts, or like I understand with like Bob Morley being out and it, like the lack of Bellamy, but what else had to be like rewritten because of that? Like you know, like was Bellamy's storyline given to someone else? You know, and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, that's what made me curious. It was such, like, a general statement that she made where I was just like, well, what exactly did they have to retool so late? Like, the entire thing or just, like, the parts of it? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was interesting observation that she made. Yeah. I mean, I I was surprised that she made it. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> it gave us a lot more information that we had 
um, before. <laughs> I'm just seeing your note, Amy, on my... Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll just go... No. Um, so my overall take was, it tried. <laughs> um, and Amy wrote next to it, did it, though? <laughs> um, I guess, like, what I mean by it tried... I think, like, Lindsay, for a first-time director, I was very impressed... Um, I, I like forgot the entire time I was watching that she directed it. Um, and I think like when Henry Ian Cusick directed, I was like, oh, I get his, like, he's doing a lot of like close-ups, um, because, you know, he's an actor's director, you know? Um, so I could like, I thought about that the whole time and I was thinking about like why he was shooting it the way that he was. But this one, like, I did not feel very much difference between other directors, I think. I don't know. I thought I thought she did a great job, regardless of like the issues with the episode. Um, and like like everything, every time. But the first time I watch it, I'm like, why? <laughs> the second time, I'm like, okay, there there were some good parts. Um, so yeah, it tried. Shaheen. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, you guys pretty much said. I mean, Amy pretty much said everything I want to say. Um, I have always been a fan of the two world structure um of of the hundred uh i mean it's i know that there it's a common thing to have like a story b story whatever but uh in uh on the hundred there's specifically the the a and b story whatever you want to call them they take place in two radically different environments uh, slash worlds um where like usually one is kind of primitive and and campy and the other is like technologically advanced and sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I love that. I love that contrast. I love how they usually make them interact with each other, the two worlds. Uh, you know, so in season one, it was the Ark and the ground. In season two, it was Mount Weather and, and the ground. Um, and, you know, season three, it was uh, uh, the ground or the whole, you know, um, the 13 clans versus um, City of Light. Um, season four, as far as I, I could see, didn't have that structure, and that's why I'm not a huge fan of season four. Um, in season five, we had the bunker versus the uh, um, the valley. Um, and yeah, season six, we had Sanctum versus... Anomaly and now similar thing, right? So Bardo versus uh, Sanctum. Uh, so I like that structure. Um, I do feel like, as you you guys were saying, the the two worlds seem more disjoint, disjointed. Uh, and this was the case a little bit in season three. Kind of like the alley thing, kind of just took over overnight from the whole thirteen clans thing and. There wasn't a whole lot of connection between them, but there were still like elements of one seeping into the other in ways that were intriguing, like Jaha and inf- infiltrating Arcadia. Um, this season, I think season seven is probably the most disjointed. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't. There, there's still you know obviously things trickling like Clark going from one story to the other, but it doesn't seem significant enough. Like what it. If anything, it seems like everyone's deserting Sanctum, like all the characters are deserting Sanctum one by one, um, to join the 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 Bardo story, um, and so yeah, like exactly like Amy was saying, is like 
it raises the question of why what what does it matter what happens in sanctum if it's all gonna go away soon as it seems to be. so but i don't know maybe she hit a like play some surprising role in the bardo story um maybe he is the key not <laughs> that'd be funny <laughs> um, i mean it is like i think this is the first time we've had the split where it it doesn't seem to like interconnect apart from like the characters we know now being in a new place while some characters we know are back in the place we knew last season um there isn't like apart from like Clark and Co joining the ones who are already over there there isn't like a connection it doesn't seem like it it's tied to it um it also yeah. feels like the stakes are really low at this point and we're like this is this is what's uh, episode 7 so we're almost at the midpoint and it feels like for, especially for the type of show that it is for the mm-hmm. 100, you know, there's not that I'm like, oh my God, we need a character death here or, or anything, but it just seems like they get close to a moment like that. And then they kind of pull back. And so for me, it's like being this far into a season, this the season series finale sort of season, it's like, what, what are the stakes, particularly like a lot of the Sanctum stuff? You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't feel even with like later a gun pointed to a more. I'm like, I don't feel any high stakes here. I don't feel the stress that I would normally feel when uh-huh. watching this show. And also, why have we watched so much gardening and chess playing in <laughs> <laughs> soccer? Like, it made me wonder for a second. I'm like, what if they're in like a computer simulation and like some people are playing like mac chess and other people are playing farmville (laughs) and it's just like they're just kind of like doing their thing i mean farmville (laughs) is really addictive bub so then i can understand all the endless gardening (laughs) exactly (laughs) is no one playing sim city in the simulation they need to or is that the city of light there was just like for one second (laughs) jaha and ali were but they are no more at least as far as we know it's a shame (laughs) Um, okay, so let's yeah, get it. I mean, oh, go ahead, Shaheen. Sorry, um, um, I think I was gonna say, um, with the stakes, uh, it's also, you know, it's, a, the stakes feel low to me also because who cares what happens to Sanctum? Like, it's, you know, like, mm-hmm. why, like, we've always asked, like, in the past, in the, this, this season, Especially like in the, on the podcast, we keep asking like, why do people want to live on Sanctum anyway? Um, <laughs> like, like everyone's like, no, I want to live here, and we have to fight over it. So we go just just go live somewhere else, even like somewhere else on that same planet or the planet that the Sanctum is a moon of or whatever. Like, if the the moon is habitable, the planet is probably habitable, and so I don't know, uh, just like on all these other planets, like. Uh, what's his name? Um, Skyring looks beautiful. Go live there. Yeah. Um, like it's not like just like one shack. It's like is this like the little prince with the planet that like you have to move your chair to always see the sunset? <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> um, it's like a little planet where like you go around. But like, it, yeah. So it's just weird that everyone's crammed up in Sanctum and fewer and fewer of of the characters that we spent five, six, six seasons with are there now. 
you know, is it down to like Murphy and Amori and like Jackson? Um, Indra, right? like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Indra, but she oh, wasn't Indra, there. Indra left. Where did Sorry. she go? Why wasn't she <laughs> unclear? Didn't yeah, she, she? Didn't she just like get like last episode? Didn't she just like kind of? take over and became kind of the leader per se toward the end of that episode. Yeah. And then the next episode, she's nowhere to be found and everything goes to right. shit. I mean, sometimes leadership gets to people's heads. Like <laughs> maybe she's at the spa <laughs> having like, well, you know, mother daughter time with Gaia. Murphy and, uh, Emory had a conversation about it. Murphy said, Indra left us here to deal with the fanatics to babysit the fanatics. When she went after our friends, she went looking for our friends. Oh, she did. Yeah, that's what Murphy said. I did not hear and that. Then, and Maury said, well, we are here because the faithful follow us. And Murphy said, well, do you not worry about our friends? So Indra apparently went to look for where? In Nakara? She wasn't in Nakara. But the other thing is Gaia got knocked out and kidnapped yeah. by an unknown character. Unknown invisible character. Um, Bellamy? Question mark? <laughs> um and the so Indra wasn't going back to like you know do they know what's going on why are they so chill it's like Indra seemed awfully chill about Gaia missing yeah that's so weird but now we <laughs> now we can assume maybe she went after Gaia I mean maybe she thought Gaia was with Clark and Co with the way mm-hmm. like because she, she went with them to the stone um then never came back. She start, She decided to stand back, but then she got knocked out. So maybe Indra thinks, okay, she went through the bridge with them or whatever. Anyway, so now Indra is gone, looking out for someone. And um, so, yeah, it's just Mur- yeah, Murphy and Amori and Jackson. Who else is on the on Sanctum? Maddie. People, I mean, Maddie. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, she's the more recent character. Um, I think that's everybody. Yeah. yeah um, so that's yeah. We don't really particularly care about that. So I I hope there is some sort of deep connection that's coming up. Um, the Shed Hedda stuff. I don't know. They're like spending a lot of time with Shed Hedda, and um, we call her we call him Shed Hedda by the way. Shed Hedda. Uh, <laughs> perfect. That's so. Perfect. <clears throat> Shedheda, um, first of all, he seems like a much more interesting character um, than season six. And it it seems like maybe it's building up to something. Um, so, yeah. And, and he did have all, he, he's had all the chips. Um, well, no, he hasn't had the alley chip. <laughs> but he has, had, he has had the flame and he's had the, uh, the other thing. Sanctum chip. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll talk about shit when we get there. Yeah. Okay, so I think we should do Sanctum first because the Bardo section ends with the last scene of the episode, which is supposedly a big spoiler, slash, it wasn't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So let's go ahead and start with Sanctum, unless anyone has any objections. None from me. Jane? Uh, I'm good. Cool. So, Sanctum, let's see what happened. Dr. Jackson shrinks Maddie. Nelson makes a friend, Nikki, and an enemy, Amori. Um, two shitheads play chess. And 
Amori throws a shitty party. <laughs> That's a lot of shit. <laughs> it's a lot of shit. <laughs> um, so what did you guys think of the Dr. Jackson um, psychologist or psychiatrist? Psychiatrist. Uh, yeah, since when is Jackson a shrink? <laughs> no shit, right? <laughs> that was like really, it's, I'm, I feel too kind of competing emotions about that because for one i feel like they've always needed a therapist on the show to like actually have these conversations (laughs) with characters but like since when is it jackson or maybe like it just felt really weird like to me because it's like it i almost felt like it was like sheen was saying like who's even left in sanctum around that we have a connection to as an audience and what are they doing? Oh, Jackson's doing nothing. How about we have him shrink Maddie in this scene? Um, it just felt really kind of like shoehorned into like, I mean, it was a lovely moment for Maddie to have. And I'm glad that they like yeah. brought up like uh, things that should have been brought up way earlier. Like when um, Bellamy kind of, kind of coerced her to take the chip in season five and Mm -hmm. and her feelings about that like that's something that should have been addressed in season five or even season six and it should have been addressed like with clark and maddie and with bellamy and clark but you know now we get therapist jackson and and maddie which seems weird because since when are maddie and jackson that close that maddie would feel comfortable telling him that kind of thing it just seems, especially with Gaia gone and then Indra, like all the people that Maddie is actually, we've seen her connect to are just missing. And then Maddie's all like, fuck them. I want to play some soccer. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it just, it, it all felt like it's like on the one hand, I'm glad finally these conversations are kind of taking place that have needed to take place. But on the other hand, at this point, again, it's like too little too late. It just felt really weird, unfortunately. Yeah, and it really felt like fans had to keep criticizing these things for a super long time mm-hmm. until that they until they were addressed. And this is why season five was so horribly unsatisfying. Like, I there are people who love the final episode and think it's amazing. And I'm like, how can you feel anything apart? I mean, I did feel stuff with like the Monty stuff. Um, oh my god, I even forgot Harper, Monty and Harper. Since that whole <laughs> season forgot Harper, um, but. It just like all all of this like ripping apart of of like relationships, and they didn't take any time to like reckon with anything that happened. It was like a one sentence. We're cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. So I, yeah, I feel the same way. That like I'm glad that they're at least acknowledging that some of these things should be noted and spoken about, but like. Why is everything so retroactive? Like, why can't they emotionally understand what's needed for the scene in the moment? (laughs) Right. At least in the season. It's just, it's not like rocket science. I don't know. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely glad that, uh, as you guys were saying, I'm glad that that we got some insight into Maddie's Uh psychology and especially how she felt about that particular incident where she was kind of pressured into taking the chip and you know um did she feel coerced did she not feel what how did she feel you know and uh you know as we know now and we're learning more but we know now about um 
coercion and assault and things like that is, you know, uh, it's confusing. You don't always know what happened um, necessarily at the moment or years later even. Um, and especially, you know, if you're young or inexperienced or whatever, like you don't know how you feel about it. You don't know what exactly happened. Is it your fault? Is it not your fault? You know, you keep, you keep blaming yourself and all of that. So, um, it's understandable that Maddie would be, um, just not being totally clear on what happened to her, uh, and need to talk to someone. And it was great that, that, uh, you know, Jackson was like, that's what Bellamy told you that you need, that you had to do that to save Clark. Uh, A, who knows if that was even true, factually, uh, you know, like that's, <laughs> we all, I always say on the show is that people make arguments like, oh, if we don't kill so-and-so, if we don't coerce so-and-so, then everyone's going to die. And I'm like, I'm always like, are they? Like, is there, <laughs> is that really the end of the, the argument? Like, let's think a little more. Like, maybe there are other options. Or it's, it's never, it never feels final that when they say it's either this or there is definitely something horrible is going to happen. Um, and so... Yeah, so I like that different characters disagree sometimes. And, you know, like with the um, bombing of Tan DC, we had conversations at the moment when characters were like, dude, what the fuck? Right. Uh, and, you know, Clark was like, but, you know, we would have lost Matt Weather. And, you know, and but other characters were like, I don't care. That's not good. That's not good reasoning. Or, you know, we could have done something else or whatever. Mm -hmm. So Jackson was like, yeah, A... That's what Bellamy said. Who knows that's even true? B, even if it was true that you had to take the chip to save Clark, that still doesn't make it right that they forced it on you. Um, and you just need to kind of, you know, realize that and don't um, beat yourself up. And so, yeah, I, I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. um, as far as, I mean, late, I, I agree a lot of stuff feels too, too little too late. Um, I, I do also, I, I have mixed feelings, you know, because I, I think, I do believe that the, the artist shouldn't be bound by what the audience wants. Mm -hmm. Um, the artist should just feel free to do whatever. And so if, if they decided this is not, the characters aren't going to address this for another five years, that's what the, the author decided. We can, of course, you know, then say that that makes it a bad story. That's fine. <laughs> but the 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 mere fact that they didn't do what we wanted or some some of us wanted is, is I don't think is a, a condemnation of the artist, but um, yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> like it is what it is. Like it is. <laughs> I do appreciate because um, I think this is something we talk about a lot where they introduce a new character to do like this one specific thing, and you're like, well, I mean, couldn't like several of the other casts that we already know have done that one thing. Um, and so I do appreciate that, like, yeah, we're kind of like, well, was he a therapist before? Like, maybe they could have made a note about, like, that's why he was always, like, Abby's quote-unquote nurse, because he's usually more of a psychiatrist or something. I don't know. Right. Um, but, like, I I'm glad they used him instead of, I don't know, a random new character. 
I think, yeah, there's a lot of things that they could fix just with one added line here or there sometimes. That's the thing I think I get the most frustrated about some of the, the choices that they make where I'm like, this is actually easily fixable with like a dropped line in here or there or somewhere. And it's like they always yeah. kind of miss those moments. And it, it leaves it up to the audience to kind of fill up those spaces in which I feel like that's that should have been the writer's job there instead of like having the audience try to do that for them Mm -hmm. yeah it's an interesting dynamic because um when you trust the story when it feels very detailed and and well thought out and everything is very uh you know uh nuanced and everything and you can see there's a lot of like extra background that they're not necessarily explicitly talking about but they're thinking about it uh in the writer's room or behind the scenes and you can see the signs of it then you're you feel better about filling this stuff in Mm -hmm. and there are sometimes when there you know there's like a book or something you know like on the expanse there's a lot of stuff on the expanse that's like huh Uh but then you, you realize oh this is actually explained in the book this is a thing you know, um, and and that makes it easier to forgive because you're like, okay, well, this is this is the show. It would have been great if they explained it on the show too, but um, I guess since there's a book, that's more forgivable. Um, at least I know that the universe is complete. The universe mm-hmm. they created is complete and has all of this stuff worked out. Um, and and the hundred used to feel that way. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of stuff that didn't make a whole lot of sense in season one. Uh, we thought, oh, okay, so this is just stuff we don't know. And a lot of it was mm-hmm. stuff we didn't know. And there was like a lot of stuff about like the clan, different clans and everything, different places in, in that world that were never explicitly mentioned. Um, but it, it was pretty rich. And, you know, there was a whole, like they had a map of the world, a, we didn't really see on the screen, but like you could reconstruct that from the story and stuff. Um, so it was easier to trust it is my point, but um, it feels less that way. I think now, because I guess we've seen, there've been cases where we just weren't convinced that they, that this is one of those cases where like they thought about it. We just didn't hear it uh, as opposed to, they just needed this. The writers just needed this to happen. So they just kind of, Right. I think you make a good point where what worked early on for them was the fact that it did kind of feel like they had this all kind of planned out. Like they they had did the world building and then wrote the story and it all felt really Mm. rich and it had like a depth to it that you felt like, oh, they knew exactly what they're doing. Um, They may not have given the audience all the information, but but they were going to build and get to that. But I think going back to what we were saying about what Lindsay said about the season, you know, and having them rewrite it like that kind of shows because it kind of shows that they're kind of winging it at this point. So and you feel that you kind of feel when the background information is is not as like well researched out for their whole you know, it's like they didn't finish filling in their behind the scenes stuff. So when they're putting in their writing on screen, we see that's that lack of depth from them where they're just like just winging it throughout the season. You can feel it. Mm-hmm. At least sure. that's how it comes across. And, yeah. you know, maybe it's not, but they, they could have. Yeah, they didn't. They haven't convinced us fully lately. 
that they're they've thought about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So okay, so let's move on to Nelson and um Nikki and Maury. That little exchange. Um, yeah. I just want to point out, because a lot of people are pointing this out, I did not catch this on first glance, but do we all agree that Amori is pregnant? Huh. That's a oh. po- I, didn't think, I didn't think about that either. I Possibly, yeah. I so there's like a moment where when she greets Amori, she goes, oh, well, aren't you glowing? Like, not, I don't think she says, aren't you glowing? Mm-hmm. But okay. at some point, like, she's she's kind of, like, insulting her because, you know, her husband died in the um, nuclear problem thingy that happened. Uh-huh. Um, and so, but Amori's fine. Like, she's healed. Um, but she says, like, when she says glow, because she says, like, it in a second sentence, I don't remember what the, word, the, mm-hmm. the lines were, yeah. but she stares at her stomach. Huh. I don't know. I didn't I believe notice it. that. I just kind of assumed that she was kind of making those those kind of backhanded like gestures to Amori because I think they're playing up this whole uh, Amori enjoying playing God, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thing. So I just kind of tied the, those comments into her needling at Amori thinking she's better than everyone else or playing God at this moment since she's like, what, Kaylee Prime or or whatever. Mm-hmm. See, I did my research. I know Good what's job. going on. <laughs> Thank you. Proud of you. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I didn't notice the whole pregnant thing either. I did think the the use of the word the word glow and some of the things that she said was weird. Uh, I never actually thought that um, Mori was pregnant. I mean, it was she was making backhanded comments for several reasons one is you know um amori is playing god the other is amori has blood alteration and that's why she survived the nuclear reactor uh, or healed so quickly and that's what that's the whole reason uh, what's her name um is is mad uh nikki um, nikki female mercury nikki, yeah, that's the whole reason <laughs> uh, McNicuri is <laughs> is mad. Um, and yeah, so she was like, oh, you healed fast. So that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the part of the other part is like, oh, you live in the castle. You're prince slash god now. Princess slash god now. But there, yeah, the pregnant thing, now that I think about it. I mean, does she have like a protruded belly? I don't think you can see anything. Um, but I think like if it if she is, it's like early. I don't know. Well, that's yeah. I mean, how has nobody gotten pregnant except for Diosa? Well, exactly. Happened exactly. It happened somewhere else. You would think like if anybody was like on birth control, it would have been prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, and I think I don't know. Now that you kind of thrown that theory out there, that'll be really interesting if she is. Because Murphy has this whole hang up about uh, dying and going to hell and doing good deeds and stuff like that, that maybe Murphy will let go of that when he knows he has, you know, other Murphys he's putting out into the world. So that (laughs) way, you know, because the whole concept of you have kids, it kind of you live for your legacy kind of continues on. 
So I don't know. Maybe that will that will play into what they're trying to do with Murphy's arc as well. If she is pregnant, that is if she is. But mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Um. Um. Nikki is hot. Shaheen <laughs> likes Nikki. <laughs> I like her. That's the thing. Is this like I don't? Of course, I didn't know who the fuck she was, but I did my research, and I like the actress, and I like the energy she gives. But like I said, it is kind of like female McCreary vibes. Like she's like there to just fuck shit up, you know. Mm-hmm. But I like her how they styled her, and I like how the actress is like playing it up. Like you could tell she's having fun at least. Mm-hmm. I, I like her confidence. Um, I just feel like she feels like a little generic outside of that. But, like, mm-hmm. I think the actress is doing a good job because, like, she does seem, like, very confident and, like, sassy and, like, she's just going to get what she wants, you know? I mean, uh, that's yeah. the one thing I'll say about the new, like, characters or the new actors that they have on, at least, like, the season and stuff like that is the thing that I do appreciate, even if I don't appreciate throwing new characters in as much as they kind of are the past couple of seasons, mm-hmm. that they do bring energy to which, sadly, I think is kind of lacking with a lot of the OG cast, where they kind of feel like they're going through the motions when they're saying their lines or, or acting. Whereas some of these new people, whether it be like the, the I think Elena Huffman plays Nikki, or J.R. Bourne, who plays Shitheda, uh, like, they like bring, like, they're like eating up the scenery, you know, like they're bringing like a new energy where I feel like some, like, sadly, some of like, our original characters have been really like muted and flat jaded yeah i feel like it's their story they haven't been given good story like how are you supposed to i don't know like be excited if it's like the same thing every season yeah that's true but yeah they just feel like lifeless to me a little bit and so it's like the that's what makes characters you know like shitheda or or nikki or anyone new that they bring in um that they kind of light up that's light up the place where you're like, oh well that they're interesting only because they actually yeah. seem excited about their job versus that guy mm-hmm. over there, which is not emoting at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still yeah. think it's like Jason losing interest in like yeah. the characters he already has, and you can like tell. Um, but no, I agree with you guys in that like I think every new person they've introduced um in the last season has been a good actor yeah in the last few seasons um and what else can we say about this scene um i do like amori trying to bond with nelson over their like abandoned child thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. um because that absolutely felt genuine like amori had a very hard background um i wish we would have gotten into it more especially with the whole like the what did she say about the island that was so mysterious and now we'll never know um and about how she like sells parts to people like who was using was it just Allie? i don't get it anyway yeah yeah she I, said we had other buyers and we never know yeah one theory was that titus is in the, the other buyer oh um, hmm. but yeah we never Interesting. know but like so i'm glad that they got to bond over something that was very real in the story because they're, they don't always do that. <laughs> um, yeah. I and love that Amori's background seems to, uh, continues to play a role and yeah. And it's real. Mm-hmm. It's cool. 
I feel like, yeah, of all like the characters that we've known for the last, for a length of time, Amori is kind of the, one of the ones that is still, I don't know, a bright light. Like I actually enjoy any time like Amori's on screen and they've done a lot, I think, versus mm-hmm. Echo, but we'll get to that, where mm-hmm. they've made her have her own kind of story. It didn't just center around Murphy and her relationship with Murphy and then her relationship with others through Murphy. Like, mm-hmm. they actually, like, gave Amori her own agency and, and, like, a narrative arc in the story. So it was nice that they actually brought back the whole Frickdrena stuff, mm-hmm. even though, yeah, there's still a lot of open-ended questions from that because who were the... What if the other buyers were, like, Bardo people? Like, I still, like, oh. am unsure about, like, Bardo. Like, what if Amori sees the, like, the Bardo people and is just like, oh, yeah, I used to sell them, like, some tech. <laughs> back She's in like, the day i know these people yeah like oh my god <laughs> bardo bees what up <laughs> yeah like oh my like, god jack what's see? up hey bobby <laughs> oh my god that would be hey, amazing <laughs> actually <laughs> i would um, love that that would be like yeah, a that link that awesome. i'd be like yeah i mean i uh back in the day i had a crazy theory on reddit that um Amore is actually kind of the mastermind behind a lot of the city of light stuff um there were some you know i amassed some evidence for that i mean she was there for all the important events and there were some weird situations where like um things changed as soon as she arrived and stuff Mm -hmm. um like she arrived in polis and like brought the message of the city of light to um who was in charge to uh Antari? Antari. Yeah. Anyway, so maybe they they they, they went with that theory after all. <laughs> um, oh my god, I love that like, theory though in the end like Amori so ends up being like the goddess of destruction. <laughs> oh, that would be so great. Cuz like she's is- actually a Becca program and <laughs> Yeah. I mean or it would she be amazing because... or something. She's like Becca with a chip yeah oh my god i would love it mm-hmm. mm. um so yeah moving- um as far as the re- reconciliation or what is it reunification i mean that was hard to watch oh the, the, the oh yeah yeah um yeah i mean so first so first of all i guess nelson is indian um i'm gonna assume so because of the name because yeah, is, is the actor Indian? Um, I don't know. Anyway, so that's that was interesting. Um, but I guess they don't even have these distinctions anymore. Um, so what do you mean distinctions? Like this never it's never mentioned that he's like Indian oh. from like Indian stuff. Like it's not. It doesn't even seem like in their society it's important anymore who's from which country back on earth. I mean, I wonder if um, they ever wonder it. Like as a like, wouldn't you like? You'd be like, well, what? Like what? What country was I from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Gabriel. He he's still like obviously he still speaks Spanish, so hmm. he has to know that that's his lineage. I guess I don't know. Yeah, it is weird that they don't. Um, mention it or yeah. use it in that way except for the fact that they had gabriel speak spanish which i thought was has he spoken spanish before no i don't think okay so. that Not was that I um yeah they, i was just thinking like they don't really no earth cultures really survived 
Apparently, apart from Mount Weather, except for chess and soccer, (laughs) (laughs) which I mean, I'm glad soccer survived. I I really am glad soccer survived. Um, Yeah, so let's get into um, Amori throws a shitty party, and we'll do chess. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was gonna talk about. uh, I I thought we were, yeah, great because I thought we were talking about that. So. I, <laughs> I was gonna say the uh, I like that the uh, Sanctum people have favorite gods. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of this stuff seems to be based on like pagan culture. Um, I know we we think it's like kind of crazy and stupid that their people are like that, especially you know since it's like the year five thousand or whatever. Um, but. The, a lot of it is like based on ancient pagan culture, like you know, ancient Greece or ancient China. And a lot of times, gods were just your ancestors, um, mm-hmm. or like symbolic representations of your ancestors, like Mulan. Um, huh? Like Mulan? Like Mulan? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. And, and like people speculate that like even Greek gods, um, they're like stories about like their ancestors. That then became like myth, mythologized and whatever, mm-hmm. um, and they had like you know they had different gods and they were all supposed to be holy and in some sense like um, infallible mm-hmm. because they're gods, but they they also disagreed with each other and they have dif- they had different strategies and different preferences and things like that, uh, different. Um, uh, allegiances and, and, and so on and people had different favorite gods you know like in in you know in ancient greek dialogues like in plato's dialogues and whatever like you can hear people say like my favorite god is uh whatever prometheus or whoever um uh, and so i believe in this and you know <laughs> um so yeah it was interesting is like they they have favorite gods and like some people are, are are daniel fans and he was like um is daniel okay with this and so, yeah, I thought yeah, that was, I thought that was like I'm like, dude, did they just totally shit on Kaylee Prime? Like, they, no one respected her at all. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> Kaylee Prime, nice party and all, but where the hell is Daniel Prime? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, they kind of made it sound it like said- they trusted the man, but they did add that line about they liked him because he wasn't as soft as Kaylee was. Yeah, I mean, Kaylee said more generally they they. Fav- they have favorite gods so like she was like or Amori was like you should be there for those faithful people who are David fans or Daniel fans <laughs> like for those who favor Daniel um, so I guess they're, they're, I assume a lot of people there maybe most people in that party were Kaylee fans um, but then there were some who were Daniel favorite, favorite Daniel and they, they, they weren't comfortable with it yeah, like they show up to the party and they're like, um, you guys told me Daniel Prime is supposed to be here. This yeah. party is like so lame. <laughs> I like, was oh my God. <laughs> it's like fire festival. Yeah. That's why I came to the party. Is you see coming? Yeah. So. Oh my goodness. Um, uh, so they name him Sachin? Sachin? Yeah. Sachin, yeah. After the um the actor. Sachin Sahil. Yeah. Um I mean this show does take like its time or its um 
it names a lot of characters after people working on the show. Yeah, it does. Nice little Easter eggs. Um, Yeah, but I mean, did you guys feel for Nelson when he met his parents? Yeah, again, I thought that was, again, like the scene with newer characters, newer actors felt like the better scene that was happening in Sanctum, minus the chess scene, which obviously we'll get to. But um, like you, you felt Nelson's like, I thought the actor did a really good job when they did the close-ups on his face mm-hmm. with because his mom, when his mom's like, we used to call you such an, and you kind of felt him break a little bit, like mm-hmm. almost like, oh, this is going to work. Like this is, Maury's plan is is going to work and you feel it. And then having, you know, Nelson's dad be a total dick. But <sighs> I felt in that, I felt the emotion in that moment, like that, that heartbreak of parents being reunited with a child that they hadn't seen in forever and like and we get to see that kind of again uh in bardo with dioza and hope but in in a very very different way but i thought that was i thought that was actually a really a, a great moment that was well acted and and Lindsay's direction in that scene was actually quite nice the close-ups on nelson's face because you could kind of see him process Something like, oh, I want this, but at the same time, you could see the switch when he was just like, nope, fuck this, and I'm gonna fuck this shit up. So I really like the yeah. scene, actually. Yeah, it's like you know, as adults, we like we pretend we don't have certain wounds, <laughs> mm-hmm. but obviously we do, and so you could just see that wound being ripped open. Um, and yeah, I like. I cheered up when he was hugging his mom. I really did feel to feel it too. I thought that was a great scene. Um, God, yeah, his dad's I, such I, a dick. <laughs> it's it's so heartbreaking and painful for for several reasons. I mean, on, uh, you can see, like you were saying, on Nelson's face, you can see first like his skepticism, and then when his mom hugs him and says those nice things. Um, then you can sort of see him feel like, you know, ah, uh, thank God, you know, like finally, mm-hmm. like I've I've missed this all my life, you know, or why couldn't I have this all my life? Look on his face, and he's kind of starting to open up to the idea, and um, you know, but then and and so like him being disappointed. On the one hand, and thinking that, you know, he didn't have to be, like, that didn't have to happen. Um, it, but, but it is now, and there, and this, and this is it for, for Nelson. Like, there's no turning him back after this. Right. That's really heartbreaking to know. Like, there was a chance to turn him back, um, but I don't think there is anymore, you know, after this. Um, so yeah, it's just, it was sad, and I, yeah, I definitely noticed the acting was really good. You could see the the process, the gears turn on, uh, mm-hmm. on <sighs> Nelson's face. Yeah, yeah, and like when when he went to hug his dad, it was so cute. He was like, "Okay, that went well. Now the second one." <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, what are you gonna say, Dad?" And it's just so. Yeah, so adorable and heartbreaking. Yeah, they say, set that up really well because they they kind of that's like one part where they kind of made you as an audience kind of feel at ease a little bit. You kind of mm-hmm. like 
exhaled and were like, oh, this is going well. And this is like a really emotional moment. And you felt like this is like this is a very tender moment that you're witnessing. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like that change of when he's about ready to hug his dad, and then it just like it, it's like the switch goes off, and where his dad's like, "Nope, fuck that." And then you see it in like Nelson's face too, where it just sucks him back to all that bitterness and anger that he had when he walked in, yeah. you know. And and then and then patricide, like yeah, like Shaheen said, like there's no turning back from this. He just like shivved his own dad. Yeah. So, yeah, that was it was a really beautifully like set up scene, too. So, again, like I'm I'm proud of Lindsay because mm-hmm. that was like a really put well put together like scene. Yeah, I think she did a great job. Uh, there were no refreshments, though. <laughs> we were promised refreshments. <laughs> Joe juice. <laughs> what the heck is Joe juice? You don't remember? <laughs> Um, okay, so remember the character last season, Josephine. Okay. Psycho. She made a juice. So that was her, yeah, that was her, like, her drink. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, how come they didn't what get everyone drunk on Joe juice before they made this happen? Right? Such a good, like, I mean... It would have been a lot easier. It would have been yeah. a better party, too. Yeah, like, a more you throw a <laughs> shitty party. <laughs> um, I mean, as an outcast, we can't really blame her. Like, I don't think she's ever been to a party before. <laughs> oh, no, maybe last season. There was that party last season. Yeah, it needs more booze. Like, more come booze. on. Yeah, um, so, do we know what's in a Joju's? I don't... I think it's... Um, Maybe I'm pulling this out of my butt, and this was not what happened at all. But remember when she discovered the that like sweet berry that tastes like cotton candy, and she like tried it on children to see if it was poisonous. Uh-huh. <laughs> they didn't show the scene; they just talked about it. I think that Joe Juice has some of that in uh-huh. it, like fermented that berry. I don't know. Good theory. Good theory. Um. Yeah. So. Let's get into the scene that named this episode. Um, two shitheads playing chess. <laughs> this is is this the third chess game we've seen this season? At we least had, the second. Uh, it's at least the second one, I think. Because we had um we had him playing who did he play last time? Um Nelson. Nelson. So that and then we had we Orlando play playing dead bodies. <laughs> Yeah. So that was so that three, at least three. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm fine with it. I, I mean, I like chess, and I, the Queen's Gambit is is my favorite opening for White. Actually, um, it's a really good opening. It's it's called uh, it's uh, what chess players know as a sharp opening. Because it can really turn a lot of ways really fast. Um, it can become really good for white, or it can be really problematic for white. Um, and it kind of it's a wide open position where like a lot of things can happen. Um, and it, it starts with sacrificing your pawn. Uh, you know that's why it's called a gambit because you you basically still. You say to Black, here, take my pawn, I don't care, because that gives me positional advantage. Um, 
And so then often in, in a Queen's Gambit, the pawn that you lose, if you lose it, so there's Queen's Gambit accepted, which means you the, the opponent will take the offer and will take the pawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's Queen's Gambit rejected, which means the, the black will not take the pawn and will play something else. Um, so, and, and Shedheader plays Queen's Gambit accepted. Um, he takes the pawn. Um, and yeah, and so, and, and I mean, usually later the, the pawn, if you lose it, if it's accepted, you'll later then regain it through material, uh, through, I mean, your positional advantage will turn into material advantage later. You regain the pawn usually. But, uh, anyway, so. Uh, I like it. And I mean, chess, you know, it's a, an international game that's, you know, survived thousands and thousands of years throughout, you know, the world, all the, you know, different cultures and all the wars and all the whatever. So yeah, I'm not surprised that it survived post-apocalypse um, and that a lot of people play it. Shedheader seems obsessed with it. Yeah. Which, you know, that's I mean, fine. I guess he's like stuck in a room with nothing else. Um <laughs> so what I guess I mean I guess we're drive, to assume like, he's a good chess player. So I mean he did get murdered by his own like flame keepers, didn't he? Like, <laughs> so I don't know how yeah. good he was at applying his chess skills in his leadership. <laughs> but and doesn't that I'm not obviously as familiar with chess as Shaheen is, but isn't also a part of like the Queen's Gambit? It, it's supposed to like help you better control the center of the board, sort right. of thing. And so I'm kind of wondering, though, with all of this, like what what it's trying to be an analogy for with these characters, particularly mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was um, Murphy who played the Queen's Gambit um, mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. versus what uh, Shithate is trying to do. Yeah, it's interesting that Shithate was playing black. So he was playing de- defense, not mm-hmm. attack. Yeah. Um, and... And Murphy was the one who played the Queen's Gambit, which means he offered to sacrifice something for gain in central control. Um, the control of the center. You're exactly right, because you offer your pawn in exchange for control of the center, which is very important in chess. Um, so what and, is he going to sacrifice? Is, so is, is he, question? yeah, is he sacrifice, is Amori then kind of, now, you know, because it's called the Queen's Gambit, so is Amori essentially... Mm the pawn here that Murphy is unknowingly sacrificing mm-hmm. when he, when he played that, when he made that move, I, I'm curious if they made a direct connection. Mm-hmm. That definitely was suggested because, mm-hmm. um, was, yeah, at one point, um, Shithead, was like avenging your queen. You know, he, he took, uh, Murphy's queen and he was like, what are you going to do? And then, he took back and says, so you're avenging your queen. Um, that's predictable. And then Murphy was like, shut up with the chess metaphors already. Um, <laughs> if anything happens to Amori, and then he didn't get, get to finish his sentence. Um, so yeah, Amori was definitely referred to as the queen or suggested. Um, so, well, so if that's the case, then I wonder then if Amori is the queen here, then who's the pawn that's going to be sacrificed? I wonder if it's Murphy himself and it's a temporary sacrifice, as you said it often is, and then he comes back in Echo's body because she's a nightblood. <laughs> mm. Oh, my God. 
I mean, they made a point yeah. of reminding us that she is a nightblood. That's <laughs> that is true. Play. Um, that's that an interesting Echo is theory. Nightblood? Hmm? Who did you say is a nightblood? Echo. Echo. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Or do they just like went overboard with the metaphors and it's just not going to work out. I know. That, <laughs> that could be the other thing. They were just having fun this episode with like teasing us with all these metaphors. And then the next episode, it's going to mean absolutely nothing. None. They just yeah. they just wanted to have shit hate a evil <laughs> monologuing. And chess is actually like a perfect trope for that. So... Yeah. It was kind of funny that Murphy, of all people, kind of fell for it. I'm like, Murphy, he's evil monologuing. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, Amy. I, I, oh. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you have a note about um, the Lexa reference. Did you want to discuss? Oh, yeah. I, I always feel like it's really strange that they... Um, We'll throw in these Lexa, like, not strange as in they shouldn't. I think it's great that Murphy had enough of history that he could needle um, shit hate a He's little bit with Alexa. He's brushed up on his grounder history, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like, he paid attention. Like, good for you, Murphy. But it's always weird to me then when Lexa does get referenced. Like, it's a retcon of what her character was. And they always try to make her, like, this perfect martyr which happens when you know a leader dies and stuff like that their martyrism and, and whatnot but it's like she unified the clans and you're jealous of her successes and stuff like that and it's like man do the writers not even remember like season two and season three like season three she was actually fighting for the unification and the clans were actually trying to overthrow her and she had to kick a guy off a balcony just to get them in line again. And then, you know, Ice Nation came and challenged her crown with a duel. Like, I'm like, she wasn't, people weren't happy with her. Yeah, she, she was a complicated popular. leader. And that's what's frustrating. It's like they keep, like, making her this perfect ca character and all that kind of thing. And I know why they're doing it is because so many people, fans idolize her and they think of her that way. But to me... She was always a better character because she was flawed. I think it was, you know, her her flaws um, and that made her an interesting character and a different type of leader than what we saw. I think that's what made her stand out. And now they're retconning that away and making her something that's really two-dimensional. Mm -hmm. I, I wish they would have. Yeah, it's like her flaws made her more vulnerable and like mm -hmm. a better part of the story. Um, because there was actually like, you know, a place for her to go. Um, yeah, she was very interesting in that regard. So making her this clean character every time they, they make reference to her, that doesn't really make any sense coming from who it's coming from. Like when it was coming from Roan in season four um, and yeah. then now, you know, coming from Murphy now, it's just like, what? Like Roan, you didn't even... Ah, like those <laughs> moments those moments really frustrate me because it's just like guys come on sorry what did Ron do um well remember in like season th three when he he made like comments like oh you don't to Clark like you don't know what Lex has done like to my people and and he mm -hmm. fought her like he didn't seem like he had a uh, really good information you know he, he didn't like Lexa we'll just put it that way and he and he seemed to have like I have information that makes me 
you know, they have gives me a good reason to not like her. Yeah, um, there's like there's another side of the story. Yeah, there's like another that. side of the story, which we never got to hear. And then in season four, when Ron, you know, was like met up with him at Becca's mansion and stuff like that, he kept telling Clark, like, like Lexa would be proud of you. You're a good leader. Like Lexa, he kept saying these glowing things about Lexa and comparing Clark to Lexa, where I'm just like, season four, Ron needs to have a conversation with season three, Ron, because like what happened there? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, have yeah. Indra say those things. Um, right. I think that she viewed her in that way. Um, they mm-hmm. had similar, like, um, priorities. So I think there was a better characters yeah. who could have delivered that. Right. And in that sense, like, if it came from a character that made sense, maybe, like, now we could say, like, well, maybe she was popular among the people or something. I don't know. At least amongst, so, like, tree crew, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, surely it must have been complicated, right? Like, the Grounder Society was, as, you know, we were told, um, very factionalized and, uh, um, sectarian. Um, yeah, and that's why she needed to unite them. So I assume that no commander was, um, popular with every clan. Right. Um, is, you know, every commander was probably very popular with their own clan was the champion of their clan um and the other clans depending on the relationship of various like political um expediency reasons like they would either like or not like the the new commander um and i mean we were told that when in season two when we heard that um lexa i mean gustus told lexa um you are the coalition right because lexa Mm -hmm. was like um, I'm trying to save the coalition or whatever, and and Gustus was like, "You are the co- coalition, Hedda. Without you, there would be no coalition." And and Cage said the same thing. Cage Wallace said, "If we kill Lexa, the Grounders will go back to killing each other." Um, and so it was a very tenuous piece uh, or coalition that was like held together in part by Lexa's charisma. Yeah. Um, but obviously, like a lot of people resented it. Yeah. Uh, and didn't want it. And then when Sky Crew came along, that blew the whole thing wide open because then the grounders were like, okay, this is definitely, you know, over the line now. Like, th- these aren't clans. These people aren't, shouldn't be a clan. And um, that was just like a reason for Asgeta and everyone else to um, want to get back to fighting. Um, so, yeah, but I mean... I, I definitely, I mean, with Roan, it's, you, you're right, like, he didn't have a good idea of, of, I mean, he was like, you only heard Lexa's side of the story. Maybe he just thought, since Clark respected Lexa, that would work on her, saying that Lexa would be proud of you. Um, so, so you're but, saying that he was manipulating her in season yeah. four? I mean, I, I mean, guess that makes true. more sense. <laughs> I mean, it, it's also, it's not that manipulative, right? Like, if I know that you respect someone, like, I don't know, like, if you're talking to a Christian person, you're not Christian, but you're like, well, what would Jesus do? You know, <laughs> it, would, it would work on them, right? So, like, <laughs> I think that's manipulative. But not, I guess not all manipulation is malicious. Right, that's but what still, I'm it would it's be. Like, yeah, it's like, you believe in that. What do you think that, yeah, so that makes sense. Uh, I wouldn't be able to say it with a straight face, though. It would be like, hey, what would Jesus do? (laughs) 
Oh my god. Um, anything else, guys? No, fuck Sanctum. <laughs> okay, then let's take like a five right. minute break. Quick break. Okay. Potty break. Okay, so now we'll move on to Bardo. So quite a few things going on. Gabriel becomes a white Power Ranger. Garbage flashback. <laughs> Octavia Goodwill Hunting's Echo. Mommy and Me Time. Ho joins the last war, which is Hope, Octavia, Dioza, Echo. Um, Clark and Co. arrive, finally. And Bill Cadigan is alive, to nobody's surprise. And so why don't we jump into this? So Gabriel becomes a white Power Ranger. What are our thoughts on that? Um, that he's really excited to get a rope. I mean, he wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he even says it. I mean, he's like, do I get a rope? So. <laughs> yeah, I was, I thought it was a little weird that they were like, hey, you want to join our group and like solve the biggest mystery of humanity? Also, if you don't, we're going to murder you. We're going to execute you. It's like, that's not. <laughs> Only choice, oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. And, like, he would be totally into it. Like, you know, that's yeah. Gabriel. His shown you wouldn't that... even have to say that much to him, I think. I think yeah. he, he really kind of sold it with, like, hey, you've been researching this mm -hmm. for, like, 150 years. We've been doing it for thousands. Let's put our big brains together and figure this out. And then he would be like, okay, yeah, that sounds cool, because that's all I'm fucking doing with my life anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like, what else? Is it? Like, he's proven that he's willing to murder for science. Like, yeah. he's not going to say no to much Lots else. of children. Yeah, he's going <laughs> to do it. He's a man of science. <laughs> but yeah. It's, but again, um, violence, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that goes into, like, the whole thing. Of, like, I feel like half of conflicts on this show are because the enforcers are just so violent for no reason. And, you know, this kind of is, like, apropos for our, our moment. Because, like, every time they get go somewhere, like, the people who are supposed to, like, apprehend someone or whatever, they're mm -hmm. just so scary and freaky. And they just come in and they're like, you know, hands up or whatever. And they, like, they arrest you. Even, like, when they wake up Gabriel to take him to say goodbye to whatever. Or his corpse, corpse <laughs> or whatever. Um they're like you don't have to like restrain his arm behind him and all of that. Like they, mm -hmm. you, you can just be like, "Hey, here, we we want to talk to you. There's a thing you want to see, or whatever." <laughs> or like you know, when they got to they they went to um um get Octavia and Dioza, you know, they come in with all the gear and they make a whole scene out of it. They could have just been like, "Hey, uh, want to come with us? Like, um, we have." stuff we think you can help us with and also like you have a baby yeah so, we have care. stuff yeah like, you know <laughs> but like of course they're gonna come after you and like try to blow you up when you you act like that the first impression they get from you is like you, you you're gonna for all they know you're gonna kill them or whatever right like they come in and they they're really aggressive so like all of this could have been avoided like no one would come after you same thing with Mount Weather, right? Like, if couldn't mm -hmm. why couldn't they just be like, um, "Oh, hey, yeah, we got chocolate cake. Uh, come in here. Oh, <laughs> come uh, on in. <laughs> There's plenty for everybody." <laughs> <laughs> 
and like, oh, you want to leave, Clark? Okay, well, all right, well, you can leave, whatever. It's like, they wouldn't have come to kill you if you did that. Um, yeah. For real. And like, also, I was just thinking, um, so the whole violence thing sort of starts with um, when death comes and stays with Hope for 10 years, like, they come up with a plan where they have to kill the Bardo Bees, but, like, at the same time, like, why didn't he, why wasn't he like, hey, guys, like, found this kid, um, <laughs> why, like, maybe we should, like, help her? I, I don't, she's a child. We can't, like, leave a minor here. <laughs> yeah. I guess she wasn't a child anymore. She was 20. Just kidding. <laughs> it's more like, I'm hoping to date this person that I've raised this <laughs> Well, kind of been a father figure to her, but she's hot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, so it's a weird thing about like having like Bardo be all like aggressive and knowing hand to hand combat and stuff like that. It's like who who else have they been fighting? Like who has been like their aggressors or antagonists where they're at? You know, like yeah. why are you guys all into like? Uh, being ready to fight like is this for because of the big war you guys have been waiting for for thousands of years or yeah it just seems really weird that everyone like why can't like the 100 come across a society that's like really into meditation or something (laughs) (laughs) i mean they look like they're doing yoga all day like this looks like the biggest yoga retreat i've ever seen it does but yet you know like also violent just like everybody else yeah, yeah. it's just unnecessarily violent, and and then you know they wonder why people come after them. I mean, with the with the Bartobies, it's weird because like, um, they don't they have no, yeah. Like otherwise, they're not violent. Like they're their people seem pretty chill, and they you know they don't seem even like now that they they arrested them. Now they're like, hey, come join our team. So if mm-hmm. if you were going to do that, like, you could have just introduced yourself more nicely. <laughs> right? Honestly, I didn't think about any of these things until we started talking about them today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. So that's, like, I guess um, it's kind of, uh, I think, Amy, you were saying before that, like, they, um, they kind of want to hammer you on the head with this. To know exactly, like, this is the threat, here here comes the threat, and, you know, um, and, yeah. So well, the, yeah, the, they, they treat us like we're kind of, like, dumb, and can't, mm-hmm. they always treat the yeah. audience a little bit, like, <laughs> we can't really figure out who the good guys are about. Like, if we're watching it for the 100, we kind of understand that they play the, and they are the protagonists, and anyone they come across has the potential of being the antagonist. It's like, yeah. you don't have to really, like, give us some mystery to it, too. Like, make it to where, like, do they always have to be the antagonist? Can they meet mm-hmm. a society or whatever that they're like, hey, how about we, like, join together? Because we already made enemies at the last place we were at. <laughs> we want to try something new this time. I mean, I think last time they did that, they went to Luna's and ruined everything for everybody there. And then Sanctum, I think, was supposed to also be that storyline. But then it turns out the primes are kind of garbage and put children by trees and leave them there. Um so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've gotten hints of that story, but it's always reverted to, like, us versus them, sort of like yeah. question us versus them, sort of like, I, but they're still the antagonists in the sense that they're on the other side of 
our protagonists. Yeah. Um, but Which is kind of weird mm-hmm. if their overall thing is to find a better way. Like if if like if at the end of all this, like their point is violence isn't the answer, or we have to be better people. We have to find a better way. We have to do things differently. Mm-hmm. But they still keep coming across. They still cycle through the same sort of um aggression figure out a problem like these people are trying to wipe us out it it kind of feels like it's the same sort of problem Mm -hmm. that they run across each um like little group like every season it's just the group just has a different face and yeah it's so it's weird that now at this point they're they're at the finish line and we're still kind of i don't know i don't feel like we've made an overall progress It it does feel like we've just been the same thing over and over and over again. And Mm -hmm. I I mean, people have talked about that. That's the point that that's like the theme is that humans keep repeating the same mistakes, Mm -hmm. but like, it's also like, I think when Cece came on the podcast, um, she pointed out that it's like very cynical that like, there's a lot of times um, like in disaster situations that people don't like, revert to these like overly hostile um resource protective things all the time a lot of people like band together to help each other right um and so it's kind of we only ever see like one side of it which is like doubling down for your side um i don't know it kind of feels like they they're making it like a reflection of our worst selves at all times yeah like it's really kind of weird it is weird. Yeah, I mean, it's like with Grounders, like a lot of other things on this show, it made more sense at the beginning. Like with the Grounders, it made a little more sense because we were given to believe that like they're, um, you know, they've been surviving in a really harsh environment and they're like... Um, Resources you know, were limited. Yeah, they're like a warrior society and they're always on edge and you come no in you look all weird and scary. So yeah, they're going to, you know, do something. But then, you know, that extended to every freaking crew on the show. Um, so, yeah, it just seems like that's uh, what people do. They just come in and they, they use excessive uh, violence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and instead of conversation and empathy, and then they wonder why people want to kill them. <laughs> And then it makes me wonder, what is the overall theme of the show? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I get if it's it's one of those things where it's this never-ending cycle of, like, it's just human nature to be violent, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is something, you know, Battlestar Galactica did, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Like, it's all doomed to, like, to repeat itself, this this cycle of humanity. Um, And who knows that this show may totally be headed to like a Battlestar Galactica type of ending. Um, that All this is happening before. All this <laughs> happen again. <laughs> you, right. It, 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 they did it, I guess, with a little bit more nuance than say the 100. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, I, and at least Starbuck and Apollo fucked. <laughs> <laughs> or did they wish he a ghost the whole time? Who knows? Um, <laughs> It's just weird that we're at this point of the show and we still kind of have yet to like find out what the overarching theme of the show is, like what their last like big adventure to what ending. I don't know, because it's like 
It's like I got antagonist to the left of me, antagonist to the right. Like, <laughs> where is, like, what is the answer to the endpoint of all this? Or what's Clark going to do? Which is also weird because she's not even really a part of this season completely. Like, why is she the key? I don't, like, everything is really, like, ah. And so it makes me doubt my brain when I see little things thinking, are they important? Or is it just me trying to make this a bigger deal than it is? And in the Gabriel scene, it would be Orlando. Like, oh, why is why are they letting Gabriel say goodbye to Orlando? Why are they not showing his body? Does it mean Orlando's still alive? What the fuck is going on here? Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it <Yeah>. means nothing. <laughs> it could be they couldn't bring the actor in. Yeah, it could be something that simple. Uh, Yeah, or it could be a deep thing. (laughs) For all we know. Either way, la muerte es la vida. Which was nice that they actually had him speak speak the Spanish. Yeah, which what we said that there's only been a few instances of people speaking other languages other than Grounder. Um, Yeah, and it's been Mm -hmm. all synctum, hasn't it? Because they spoke... Chinese and then French. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sanctum people seem to speak Earth languages other than English, but yeah. yeah. And it makes sense because it's presumably the the same people who are still alive, so they they kept their language, you know, like yeah. Gabriel was Hispanic and yeah, he is still alive since our time, so mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't um, get the grounder memo that they could create a totally new language (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so um anything else on the gabriel becomes white power ranger before (laughs) you move on i uh had a thing that you know could kind of be a well actually but it was kind of too important to be a well actually um so i don't know if it's like just a mistake or redcon or what so it says that um the um anders guy says um, we have been researching the stone for a thousand years, and you, Gabriel, have been researching it for 150 years. And so we know that, you know, 150 years is, you know, about the amount of time Gabriel was, um, you know, I guess on Sanctum or left Sanctum after he repented or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been studying this his whole life. Um, but um, then. A thousand years on Bardo. I mean, if you think about it, we uh, last time we said that one second on Sanctum is about two or three hours on Bardo. So uh, if you do the calculation, and I checked this with my calculator several times, is <laughs> one year on Bardo is about 50 minutes on Sanctum. So let's say an hour. So an hour on Sanctum is about a year on Bardo. So a thousand years on Bardo would be about like four, 40 to 50 days on Sanctum, about like less than two months mm-hmm. um so does that mean the the uh bill cadigan folk the bartobies they arrived like in the past couple of months by sanctum time but they're supposed to have left earth before the bombs is that so yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know yeah maybe <laughs> Again, this thing? is one yeah. of those things where it's just like, did they think it out? Like, yeah. or no. <laughs> but also, also like, Clark and co. have been in Sanctum, like, what, two, three days? Like, mm-hmm. so right. everyone on Bardo is just, like, what, 80 years old or a thousand? Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. 
How's that? Miley, yeah. very upset right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that picture of like Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia in front of the board with all the strings and him looking <laughs> crazy. Like, like I need one of those boards that like can map out because it's all very confusing. Yeah, and how I mean, many if- anomalies are there, and how many planets are there? Like, what I need, I need a map. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say the um in terms of like a thousand years like Skyring is there obviously they can do like a lot of work in what is equivalent equivalently like a very short time yeah on Bardo so like that's the way to do, but like mm-hmm. if he literally said what was it um Penance? what was the thing said in canon about the time discrepancy um, that he said, you've been studying this for 150 years, we've been studying it for a thousand oh. years. No, and he's like, a second on Sanctum is oh. what on Bardo? Uh, <laughs> is about two to three hours on Bardo. So everyone's like, just gonna be super old. So, old Bellamy, everybody get ready for it. <laughs> yeah. And like, but really, isn't it also old, like, everybody else too, that's already there? It's confusing, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, that's the thing. When did they arrive on Bardo? They seem to not know about Sanctum, so... Are they... Like, I don't know. Like, to them, it's been a long time, but it's actually been recently by Sanctum time. I don't know. Like, Octavia was there a week. Like, weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so how does that work? <laughs> yeah, because like, she was there for, for, se- for several weeks, and it was just a, a few seconds. It was, like, a minute. Um... That's, and so, that, like, yeah, yeah. so yeah, and, and it's, uh, I mean, but but it's interesting, you raised an interesting point that, like, maybe what they did was they studied the stone on penance, um, uh-huh. for a thousand years, and that way it wouldn't, wouldn't have been that much time. But you say he says it though, he says a second on. Sanctum. No, I mean this. This is what we calculated based on oh, the timeline okay. Okay. <laughs> that they yeah. gave us. But but I was saying like since Bardo, since time goes so much faster on penance, it could be that they sent their some of their scientists to study the stone on penance. So mm-hmm. the or at thousand least they years, should have. Yeah, that's. I mean, that would be great if that that would fix this issue, and it would also make more sense than, hey, here's a planet that where time goes much faster instead of using this opportunity to do science and get the results faster we're just gonna send a lone prisoner there once in a while yeah um, it seems like a really <laughs> shitty use of their resources like super shitty you have like all of these like wormholes and you want to do this like science like this getting to this like in game for them is really important to them and all this figuring out the anomaly in the code or whatever but instead of using like the resource of the penance planet, you're like, you know what? We're just gonna put a shack on there, and we're gonna send a prisoner there, but only one, you know, for however long this weird time is. And then, other than that, I don't know. Like, <laughs> and how big is that planet? Like, that's what I want to know. You know, like yeah. how big is that planet? Is there other things on that planet? Why what only else send is one? On like, <laughs> yeah, this is like one of those little little prince planets where. Like you have to move your chair to see the sunset. <laughs> it's, I was, Basically, I was like, "Yes, yeah, it's, it's it could they could have u- made so many uses of that, and uh, um, also like breathe air, like 
there is <laughs> there's fresh air on penance. Yeah. Go um, outside and play, have some outside, yeah. get some vitamin D, like whatever you need, instead of like be holed up in a place and that looks like a cleaned out garage with some <laughs> lights like taped to the walls on the side. Like, yeah. dude. It doesn't make sense. And like, like, or make that a vacation spot, you know? Like, what kind of joyless existence do the people on Bardo have? Do they get to go have vacations at like other places? I mean, yeah, like at first we thought they were all like weird, like, soldiers and stuff but there are normal people among them so like they must be really bored out of their minds yeah i mean they have janitors obviously they have a laundry department that gets their whites so white like <laughs> so they have like normal people doing everyday shit like clean. <laughs> but yeah and, like yeah, time discrepancies yeah um that's that's I all I had on that. So we can move on to the shitty. What are you calling it? Um, oh, oh, the garbage flashback. Garbage flashback. <laughs> so yes, moving on to the garbage flashback, which this is because we didn't record <laughs> the first time we did this. <laughs> I have to talk about twice as my penance. <laughs> <laughs> this is your penance. <laughs> this sounds gonna sound a lot more, you know, calm and mature. <laughs> I thought I sounded pretty mature the first time. But you did. Then I again, was very proud of you. Yeah. The bar is very low. <laughs> Maybe this time she's going to be a lot angrier. <laughs> yeah, who knows? This is beer for. <laughs> it's all now come back. Yeah. Yeah, now it's just like, fuck this. I hate this. <laughs> oh, my God. So let's go in the same order, I guess. Amy, do you want to talk about it first? Well, um, I think, obviously, my one observation is beardless Bellamy right away um (laughs) and the fact that like if this was the moment he started to like grow facial hair um that getting regular sex means I'm gonna stop shaving so (laughs) weird direction to go I mean is that I mean not really though when you think about it like when you think when you get together with someone and stuff like Leading up to that moment, you look your best, but as you're in an established relationship, that's when you let, like, all of the things go. <laughs> but it's not like he was, like, looking for anything when it, he started there. That's true. Know. It's not like as soon as they got in this, like, oh, well, these numbers are really low. I guess I've got the option of Raven, <laughs> which would have been the better option. Um, <laughs> Way Echo. I mean, I think Bellamy's bisexual. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I it was endless. Yeah, a lot of people too. would love that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's future space stuff. I just think sexuality is probably or should be more fluid. But, you know, that's a personal thing. You know what I actually wanted to happen the first time around? I wanted Murphy and Amori to break up and for Bellamy to end up with Amori and to have this, like, interesting story where it's like, it's not meant to, like, last forever. But they respect each other, and um, Amori and Murphy, like, had some kind of conflict. And then when they got back to the ground, because, like, they work so well on the ground because of, like, their survival skills. They understand each other. So they would have, Amori and Murphy would have reconnected on the ground. And Bellamy would have been happy for them, because he knew what it was. It was a space hookup. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I could... I, they still, it still would have been, it still would have been a thing where they needed to have flashbacks to explain how that happened. Oh, for sure, but I would have liked those always flashbacks. <laughs> um, I always thought that it would have been really um, 
it would have been better to have Bellamy and Raven hook up just because there is a history there, like leading up to it. That it you don't have to explain it. You wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't have had to explain it so much with flashbacks. People would have seen that and would have understood mm-hmm. um, that why they would have like ended up together. And I think it really would have made for interesting like dynamics once they got to the ground because of Clark and mm-hmm. and Raven and all of that. That I think. Um, not saying that it would have been like some sort of weird love triangle, but it just would have made really interesting leadership dynamics um, come to the forefront. So, yeah, I don't under I still nothing about the scene made me like understand Bellamy and Echo as a couple anymore. Um, <laughs> Isn't that funny? As I'm saying. It, like it, yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it is funny that it didn't really make me get why they're a couple. Like it, it just didn't... told us that it's. They've been dating the whole three years. Right, and it was more a setup to Echo's character arc, which I still don't quite fully get because, um, you know, it was basically, this whole scene was basically set up to have the, quote, loyalty is your weakness, I I think. Because I think that's going to come into play for where Echo goes from here. Um, Which is really rough, having your one personality trait be your weakness. Yeah, like, and and that's kind of, and her loyalty has been all that she's, they've really ever shown her to be about in the entire show, whether it's her loyalty or the fact that she will, like, turn on you because she's a spy assassin. Um, They haven't really developed her character any more that I don't, like, having her revert back to her Asgata self is, I don't, it just seems like a very short-sighted like little character arc it, it's nothing like they what they've given amori mm-hmm. which they've given amori a lot of layers and every year built up something more about her character that didn't have to do or evolve around murphy mm-hmm. um they made her useful and stuff with the group and i haven't really besides you know echo doing the same thing she's always done which kind of is being an enforcer or a soldier they really haven't given her anything else so i don't really kind of understand even why we needed that scene for what happens or why this it. is even just like at the forefront of the season. <laughs> yeah. Or again, why this is how they decided to use Bellamy um, for the, you know, five minute scene that they oh my God. got yeah, Bob no. Morley. <laughs> I, for, it, but. In Selena's review, she had this like really like this, this paragraph where she talks about that. We're like, we've gotten so we're going to get so little Bellamy this season that it's, Kind of like the fact that they used the time on this scene, um, of all scenes, of all scenes, they used his time for this. Um, and it's it's not about him. Like you would think, if they had limited time, they would use it to tell a story that's about him, yeah, not in not in way, service yeah. to another character. Like I'm like choking up right now because it just makes me so like frustrated. Um. It's yeah, I feel why? like maybe there's like a, a behind this behind the scenes explanation for that. Not that it like justifies mm-hmm. it, but like I, because I always thought that the whole thing about Bob Morley needed a break or didn't have time was kind of you know bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably something else is happening. I I don't claim to know what it is, but like some other things happening and. It's possible that, like, they did have a bunch of other Bellamy shots um, that they had to cut out and, you know, replace or just kind of, you know, rewrite the story around it. Um, 
But this one survived because it, it was consistent with everything else. Like it doesn't really contradict anything else that changed. So it's just there. Um, it's that's just possible. There. Yeah, it's also possible. It's, it's just there. <laughs> yeah. It's also possible it's like an editing thing. Um, we've seen that yeah. before. You know, in season three, there was a scene with Bellamy and... Uh, Octavia, where Bellamy explained his uh, why he doesn't trust Lexa and why he feels scared or unsafe with the grounders outside mm-hmm. before the massacre, that got cut out for other scenes that seemed less important. So yeah, yeah maybe it's an editing thing, but uh, yeah, I kind of think they probably had other Bellamy scenes that got cut out. I mean, if they have a DVD with all the things that they didn't use of Bellamy, like, I would mm. actually really appreciate, because it's the final season, yeah. like, <laughs> people are watching it to say goodbye to the characters. We don't give yeah. a shit, like, what happens. Like, it, it's just, like, cool. this is the last time to, like, hang out with them. Yeah. yeah, I think that's something that's kind of has gotten lost with what the writers are trying to do is, usually in final seasons of shows, it's more, um, a lot of shows do kind of almost like a nostalgia journey, you know, like that one last adventure with these characters that you've come to love. Because sometimes it's not necessarily important to tidy up like some story arcs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the more important thing is to tidy up the character arcs. Because ultimately, that's what the audience cares more about. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I don't know... I kind of don't really know what they're doing with the story anyway um, this season but yeah you're they're leaving out like the most important like characters your lead characters in this so it makes the whole thing feel weird because people are wanting to tune into the final season to see where the characters who began this entire journey to begin with in season mm-hmm. one or season two where they end up and what happens mm-hmm. and having those moments together and then like yeah, it's it should be like a nostalgia tour. And I don't like it's like their version of a nostalgia tour is like really <laughs> it's really weird, like the things that they decided that they need to answer or the connect or the characters that they need to connect or like the wrong characters they need to connect. So it's just all a little like, oh, this is too little and this is too late. Yeah. Really. I mean, this this um Becco flashback is like two seasons after this relationship started and like they haven't even it's not even like they've given this relationship a story at all like there was one scene last season that's it that's all it's had except for one really gross sex scene um and and that's not that wasn't even story like that it's i i can't even like communicate like how ridiculous this is um they don't make him seem like a lived-in couple, whereas whereas Murphy and Amori feel, mm-hmm. they feel like a couple when you see them and you see, like, interactions of them getting up in the, like, little things yes. like them getting up in the same bed in the morning and having, like, cutesy little, like, couple, like, you know, one-liners mm-hmm. at each other or, or things like that. You see, like, the lived-in couple moments where it can put you in and feel like, oh, I, I get, I get what's going on here. Um, I mean, they did a better job even with Bellamy and Gina in like, yeah, season three because they gave him like soft little moments. I mean, I still feel like they could have done more with that too, 
Um, Because, again, that was a time jump relationship for for Bellamy. Mm -hmm. But it's just like they don't all the times last season, even when they were in a scene together, they never really felt like a couple. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like it was weird the setup for like season five, you know, at the end of season four to season five, it was going to be like Bellamy's going to be in charge and Raven will be a second in command. I mean, I think even Jason said that he did. Um, and he then did. when they came back, and then ever since, it kind of felt like okay, Bellamy's kind of in charge, um, and Echoes is and Echoes his second in command because that's his girlfriend, but she's always felt more like she's just the second command soldier to whatever he says like it doesn't yeah it just doesn't feel lived in is the best way i can think of to describe it there's and the lack of kind of chemistry like it just feels you can feel the acting you know when you can feel where it's yeah, like they're trying. two people saying their lines versus two people that are in in their lines i don't know it yeah it just is weird it's just weird it's weird <laughs> I, yeah, yeah I, did you have Yeah, I was um I thought that like it might be um interesting for the audience to hear and also like maybe cathartic for 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 you, Bubs, to hear that like I as someone who never had any strong feelings about Beko one way or another, uh I was also I found myself kind of disappointed uh slash bored by this flashback and i was wondering why that is um given that you know i didn't really have feelings for it um and i think it's because like i mean they're actually related because the the because of the reasons that you're you guys are saying like the relationship was never quite filled in with all the you know emotional details and everything uh i just kind of took it like a an assumption like a premise i was just like okay I, they want me to assume these two are in a relationship. I'm just going to assume that. Um, I never felt like the stakes or any sort of like deep connection to it. Um, so now that they're showing some background, it's kind of um, late. Because I'm like, well, I don't really care because I've been assuming this for several seasons. Um, I don't need to see the, the thing, you know the flashback because uh i thought you just wanted me to assume this <laughs> yeah know, this whole time and besides like it wasn't really at the end of the day like it didn't really explain to me why there was like a spark between them yeah um it so- just it was just like there was a moment that there was a spark between them and this is that moment but you still don't know why um so yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, because it seemed like, I don't know, with the conversation they were having, it just felt like an odd moment for Bellamy to kiss her. Like, I feel like there's a line or two that they needed to add in there to get to mm-hmm. that point. And it, so it just, that yeah. kind of felt weird. I was and it's funny the same. That... Sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, like, it's um, um, along the lines of what you were saying. Echo almost said a line that could have helped because she was like, um, this is a real Bellamy. Uh, as soon as we get down to Earth, we get back to Earth, and then she didn't get to finish her sentence because Bellamy kissed her. But I thought she was going to say, as soon as we get down to Earth, you're going to forget about me. Um, and 
That would have made more sense as a moment to to kiss her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think they were just hoping that we would assume that was her next, you know, line before he interrupted her. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah just a little couple of things like that that made it more intimate would have made sense for that to happen. Instead, it just, it felt like in other things, they were just like checking off a list, like, oh, this was a fan complaint, so we better like let oh, them I have know this is... about that. <laughs> yeah. Then here's, yeah. here's that, and we got that taken care of, you know, and I hate it when shows do that. This is not like the only show that kind of falls into that category where you feel like, oh, that was something you had that you had to check off your checklist of, well, make sure this is in here. And mm-hmm. not really finding a way to like put it in there that it made sense. Because there really isn't anything about that scene that was necessary to what Echo goes through next. Like, I think you could have taken that scene out and Echo kind of falling into her grief and reverting back to her old self worked with the scene with Octavia and her. Exactly. Like I, I don't really feel like, yeah, there there wasn't any insight that you got except for the line, loyalty is your weakness, um, that really kind of did anything more knew. than the next scene. <laughs> we already knew it in her, like, was that not the point of, like, her five years with Hope and Gabriel that she was, like... Yeah, I feel like this is one of the times where the show is, like, not subtle and they're hammering you over, he- over the head with, like a theme here and and this is kind of the theme here is pettiness (laughs) (laughs) is bubs is bubs pettiness and jason's pettiness to bubs (laughs) it feels personal it It literally feels personal (laughs) um you know and and like so i'll just say this because people ask on reddit all the time like why um are blarkers like crazy on twitter like they're insane blah 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 and like i'm not gonna excuse anyone being like horrible to somebody else like like don't do it but to explain what some of the anger and frustration is, um, it feels at times that um, the show takes, like, these very specific fandom complaints. And, and like Amy was saying, like, they write up a list and they just check off the list. And, like, to give an example, and I'm pulling this, um, this list from TV Source magazine. Heather Mason's article says, okay... So these are specific, like, Balark fandom complaints. Um, so Or not complaints, even just kind of like talking points when um, just discussing this online. So one of them, and this is one that I said like several times on Reddit. Um, so it took, it was stated that it took Bellamy three years to forgive Echo. Um, and I was like, well, we don't even know. Like, at, like a lot of people assume that they dated them for three years. But like, you don't, in my mind, you don't forget give someone and then immediately start dating them. If this is like a, if it took you three years to forgive them, you think that you need a little bit of time after that. But so in this flashback, not only do they tell us when it started, it started right at the three year mark. Like they just kind of like answered that question. Um, And so um, the other thing is people bringing up how Echo helped kill uh, Bellamy's last girlfriend and she stabbed his sister and they have him say like, well, we all make mistakes. And again, like this is something that people argued because I mean, there's, there's different kinds of decisions that people make and some are more valid than others. Um, deciding to do something to save your family um, is different than deciding to do something that's a terrorist act that kills a bunch of families 
for political gain for your quote unquote team. Like that is a very different decision. That is not the same as like, oh, we've all done bad things. Like, sure, the Nazis, well, they did bad things too. It's fine. Like, <laughs> not to bring it to Nazis. I'm sorry. Um, but, but you went there. I went there. Um, well, I mean, she also killed Ilian. I think poor Ilian gets forgotten um, in the conclave when true. she was trying to cheat for Roan. Well, she was, but she was disloyal to him because she didn't follow his orders. Yeah. And also, like, blasphemous of her religion, which she said, or, yeah, I guess that was, because she said that Clark making Nightblood was blasphemous. So clearly she followed it, but also yeah, it was fine yeah. to, like, interrupt the conclave. Like, none of it makes sense. <laughs> none of it makes sense. It's true. Um, And then, so hold on. So then the other complaint was that um, how how could they possibly date this not only a date, like be on in one place, one tin can for six years, date for, I guess, three years. Um, and Bellamy doesn't know who Echo is or like anything about her. Like how? How? So the answer to that was um, you don't talk about yourself much. The line that Bellamy says to Echo. And it's just like, it's so pointed and directed at these very specific complaints that I mean, I can't even just, okay. And, and the, the really weird thing about that line, for them to, like, kind of put that in to be like, oh, we answered that fandom question, yeah. was, and then she continued to not really talk about herself, because then we find out in Sanctum, like, he doesn't know, he still doesn't know anything about her, even though he's been banging her for three years. Nothing. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that didn't change once they got together. She still apparently didn't talk about herself. Um yeah, their development um, is just its very awkward because they don't fill – because even when they try to fill in the blanks, they're not filling in the blanks. Like, it's always reactive. Because even that scene didn't fill in the blank of how they got together. Like, it's just – Why they make a cu- like a good couple at all. Yeah, nothing – like, every time they try, it's like, womp, womp. Like, <laughs> like yeah, give Bellamy a line that's, like, awkwardly saying, like, well – not a lot of people on this tin can. Like, you can make it, like, funny. And it also, like, explains it. <laughs> and it's not, like, it's not necessarily rude. It's, it's like, acknowledging that, you know, there's literally, like, Tinder has two people in space. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with saying that? Like, that makes sense. <laughs> um, and I also just, like, doubling down on the relationship that happened off screen. And they gave, like, no time to. Like, what What was so wrong about, like, if this happened um, off screen, why couldn't it have just, like, ended off screen? Like, I think we've talked about, like, it doesn't have chemistry. Like, I think they don't de- dedicate, like, scenes to it because they're, you know, it's not, they don't sing on stage the way um, other characters in dy- Dynamics do. Um, so, like, I don't understand why... You know, they got to the ground. Things changed. Why did that never happen? We had to wait to, like, go to space and Echo to think he's dead and, like, have a nervous breakdown. (laughs) Well, and Um, that's the other thing. It would have been one thing if um, once they got, you know, back down to Earth or whatever, then have moments that kind of explained, like, that's when they should have had, like, a scene like this one, even but better mm -hmm. written. Um, and when they landed and, and have that be a way to like explain a little bit about their relationship dynamic. Um, but they started just giving him less and less scenes together. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like in the back half of season six, like what did they even like? There wasn't any. He was saving Clark Josephine. Um, yeah. So it was like, yeah, it's really weird because they've not done anything to to earn make this. it. Yeah, to make it make sense versus you know where other couples on the show that have had chemistry or have made sense or they've, they've given them more couple moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when you compare Bellamy and Echo to to Murphy and to Amore, like it's it's night and day. Yeah, it's like everything how to do everything right and how to do everything wrong. And really like I guess my gripes here, my gripes here are not that the scene happened, it's that it was unnecessary. Like like you said it was unnecessary and it was it was more constructed to um be directed at fan arguments than actually add anything to the story and like and you see that in the way like i used to complain about um echo's mermaid waves along with other people like why did raven and echo have these like mermaid waves and like overdone makeup the like what kind of Sephora do they have in space? And so this season, <laughs> they chop Echo's hair off. Like, don't tell me that they don't respond to fan comments um, in the way they write the next season. And and they, they say that they don't want to be um, directed by what fans want. But isn't, like, being directed by what fans don't want equally mm. equally bad? <laughs> because they're not writing yes. what they want to write. They're, they're writing what we don't want them to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you know, I'm always big about, you know, the the creative um, person or the author, you know, um, the artist, they should just uh, do whatever they want and they shouldn't mm-hmm. care about or be, you know, bound by what uh, people want. But I'm not tuned into the whole social media world. So uh, based on what you guys are saying, it sounds like, um yeah they're like they're in that in order to prove that they're not bound by what the fans want they're like being ironically bound by the what the mm-hmm. fans don't want because <laughs> that's i mean that's yeah that's still the same thing like it's like we can just like whatever we want we can just say we want the opposite and then we will get it so they're still not it's still not free creation yeah, it's definitely it still doesn't feel like they're telling their story so much. So it's not it's not one of those instances where you feel like the creator is like, "Hey, I have the story that I need to tell and I'm not really going to let like an audience dictate where that goes because like that saying goes, you know, you don't you don't give the audience what they want, you give the audience what they need." Mm-hmm. Um and in the end, everyone, you know, should end up relatively happy. There's always going to be people who don't like, you know, a story and and that's fine like it's that's that's what art's all about you can't make but in this happy. case yeah they act like those the want and the need are just they're they're two opposites like they're always the opposite of each other yeah that they're yeah and and it's it's not necessarily opposition and satisfying your audience with a good ending or a good story isn't necessarily a negative here or cheap yeah and the opposite like yeah and not an opposite of what they want like sometimes those two things actually like connect with one another and yeah this this totally everything has i mean to me in my opinion everything since 307 and what had happened afterwards has been a reaction to um in their writing even like the big picture and little character moments like this 
which mm-hmm. is weird because you only have so much time to tell the story you want to tell. And sometimes it just feels so wasteful because, you know, like Shaheen mentioned, we know they've edited out parts that would have really actually fleshed out uh, character arcs and motivations better. But somehow they've fallen like they got cut by the editor and they never made it mm-hmm. on screen versus some scenes like this one where it's just like, you guys need like someone editing the editor (laughs) (laughs) and being like, um, here's what we need. That's going to explain character, like arcs and motivations and journeys better. That definitely needs to be in versus these things need to be cut. Like these are just, they're Mm -hmm. unnecessary to the story in any sort of way. They, they do nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there anything else for this section? <laughs> oh, the only other thing was another fan criticism for Echo was that um, the writing is inconsistent. Like I said, um, she's super loyal, but she betrays the king. Um, she's super into like the grounder religion, but she does the conclave stuff. Um, she gives Clark forgiveness, but, like, also she's cold-hearted and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just, like, there's all these, like, it's, it just, it's always been messy. She's always been so ill-defined in mannerisms and everything. Like, all of a sudden when we got to, um, Skyring, she was, like, Clarissa explains it all. I don't know. It was weird. (laughs) Um, and so it's just, like, it's just anyways so in this scene Pelony calls her a shapeshifter and I was like just like the writers being like she's not inconsistent she's a shapeshifter (laughs) so no matter what we write or how it's acted like it's a shapeshifter yeah it's not only their reaction it's not only like their writing is reactionary it's like also it's like making excuses Excuses. (laughs) the mistakes they've made in the past yeah, it's really Yeah, it's so it's if it sounded so meta when they said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's uh, and like I know it's like we have so much salt, but like we're here because there was things that we we really loved and love about the show. Mm-hmm. And, and there's like infinite potential. Um and I actually think like a lot of the elements this season are like really cool. Like really yeah. really cool and I just like my little heart just is reimagining the season with like all of my favorite characters front and center <laughs> doing all the cool shit and like no sanctum um and <laughs> whatever <laughs> i mean honestly <laughs> i think it would have been a better season if they just would have taken all the main characters and had them like go through the anomaly and end up in different places and yeah. just gotten fucking rid of sanctum and all that like why do they need to be there they don't need to be there. Let let the children of Gabriel and the um, leftover believer people. Yeah, let, let them, them all it fight out. it out and away from you guys. And you guys are on your next adventure. Uh, Seriously. <laughs> without like, that bullshit. Yeah, and you leave the prisoners with the ship. They can live there. Like, <laughs> let them figure it out. And, like, someone was telling me, I was trying to, I was explaining how I was, like, frustrated that, like, the main characters weren't in the cool plot line or like in any plot line and someone's like well they were explaining to me like well but like it was Bellamy um Bellamy Hope and um I forgot her name for a second that was amazing Echo and Gabriel (laughs) um they were at the anomaly but the other people weren't I'm like okay this is so easy like 
you have like so that all happens and then you you cut to like Clark and Co um being like I think it's this way. Did, did we bring enough snacks? Like they're coming to meet up with them and like help them find Octavia. Um, and they're just like behind them by a little bit. There, everyone's together. They all go through the anomaly. <laughs> See how easy that was? Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyways, anything else to say? Are we good? We're good. Okay, cool. Let's move on to Octavia Goodwill Hunting Echo. Um, and Shaheen has not seen this movie, which I found crazy, but apparently I'm not allowed to complain because I've nope. never seen Star Wars, so. Yes. And it's very swiftly you, you put in my place. You, you forfeited all your rights to complain. Yeah. I think that's much worse. I accept that. I keep meaning to watch it, and then like I get back on the podcast, and it comes up again. I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't watch it. <laughs> but I will never forget the sand makes me sleepy. That's <laughs> it's true. Though. It's totally true. I oh like my god! Then I hope you never watch like Lawrence of Arabia. Like, please never watch that. It's like three hours of sand. Oh my god! I can only imagine. Um, yeah. So, so in this scene, we have like so. If you haven't watched Goodwill Hunting, like Shaheen, um, Goodwill Hunting somebody is is when you tell them it's not their fault over and over again until they break down and then you hug them. And like, I think Amy, this came up recently in something else. Yeah. I just um, did the um, 12 monkeys podcast and they had a moment, a goodwill hunting hug that was between Ramsey and Cole in the, their final season um, in their finale actually. And yeah, it was one of those, um, it's a trope that gets used a lot, you know, when like there's two characters and one's really upset or they're angry at each other mm-hmm. and their way to like allow them to like express their, their emotional angst in that scene or their grieving or, or whatever it is. And they hug it out, you know, it's like the term hug it out <laughs> comes from. And um, yeah, it's <sighs> on paper. This scene between Octavia and Echo, like, should work in the same way that this trope is, is it's popular for a reason mm-hmm. um, between characters to, to have that kind of emotional catharsis um, and be able to let go of whatever, whatever it is that's holding them back. And it's just, I don't know. It's weird, kind of, this scene... Uh, Especially after watching that scene, because I, I think it was is done better than how they kind of did it in the scene. But also it just felt kind of like another scene, like the Jackson and Maddie scene, in which it's a weird time to bring up some past issues mm-hmm. um, that needed to be addressed when those issues came up. And in this case, it was Octavia talking about when she uh, beat the shit out of Bellamy in season three. Four seasons ago, if anyone's four, yeah, four seasons ago, and and the fact that uh, this was like the to mine, I remember pretty well, but this is like the first time she's ever talked about that out loud, um, and it just seems like a weird time to have like this moment that a needed to happen way sooner than now. And B, like, it needed to happen with Bellamy. Like, this is a moment that they really needed to have um, between Octavia and Bellamy and apologizing um, for that and kind of talking that out. And 
it just seemed weird having that be presented with Echo, just like it seemed weird having Maddie talk about the chip with Jackson and not, say, with with Clark or, or Bellamy, mm-hmm. um, with the person that you're actually having, like, that problem with that you need to let them know how you feel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just... It, and they, I think they do it again later on in this episode, too, where it's just, like, two people having a conversation about something in which I'm like, that's not the person you need to be having the conversation with. Um, <laughs> and is it also another instance of too little, too late yet again? Like, why bring that up now? Like, I get for, say, Octavia's journey, it shows us, the audience, that how far Octavia has come from where she was in season three and how like how much time has passed and how she's kind of chilled out, chilled out to the point, like someone must've given her a Xanax because she's really not grieving Bellamy too much. Um, <laughs> right. What the fuck? So what yeah, the that's fuck? the other weird thing about this scene is like echoes over here crying. And then it looks like someone gave like, Octavia is sedative and she's just over there going, yeah, I feel your pain too. Like, do you? I don't, I'm not sure. (laughs) Like, it just seems really awkward. Um, I mean, I will give the writers here the benefit of the doubt in which I think that they're kind of putting it in their mind that Octavia had mourned Bellamy when she was on the penance or whatever with Dioza, you know, because she tried so hard to get back to him and, and then finally gave up. So when she did the letter in the bottle or whatever that was, that was her kind of saying goodbye or letting go of her brother. But it's still weird because she sees him again. So she knows like he's right there and then blew up in front of her. And then that's that. The shock of like seeing him again. It's like, oh my God, I didn't miss my chance. Yeah. Oh my God, Bellamy. Like, how does that not fuck up a person? (laughs) Right. And yeah, so I'm like, did they give her a sedative or two? Like, is she high? I'm like... Is it supposed to mean something? Yeah. Like, is it... Exactly. Is is this one of those things that means something? Like, it didn't really happen and it was all just like this um, manufactured, like, video or image that they, like, gave everyone to make them think Bellamy is dead and it didn't really happen and la da 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 Or are we just... Yeah, yeah, or are we just reading too much into it like we do and it means nothing? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Like, again, it's like one of those things that can be solved so easily where the camera starts on Octavia, the person who should feel the most grief. Um, and because her whole life was centered around Bellamy for half of her life. It's still, I believe, half of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and just centered on her face. Marie is so good at just giving you this like sad like like internalized like grief and you feel it like so starting with her and she's just kind of like processing the fact that like she's never gonna all she got was like one tiny second with her brother and then he was gone um and then she hears like echo like hyperventilating and then she takes that moment because she's healed because she's like she's she had a family and she was she found like comfort and love. Um, so she, yes, yeah, she's like mellowed out a little bit and she's just more empathetic. So then she goes to, to echo because she, you know, she's in a place where she can help her. But like, we start with Octavia's grief. If that, if that's how it had happened, like, I think that it would have been better. At least not like Xanax Octavia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it felt kind of, 
like it felt like a weird reaction for the timing of it all which yeah it didn't kind of make sense but i un- it's like one of those things where it's like i understand what they were going for in the scene Um, so I'll give them credit for that. And I will, like, I get that they were trying to show, like, Octavia, um, how, you know, she's learned how to deal with her emotions in in a healthier way. And she's, you know, trying to give Echo grace in the ways that, you know, Dioza and Hope help fill that in for her especially with the line you know telling echo like you're my family because i hated that (laughs) i know you hated that and i'm like but i see kind of what the writers were trying to do because whereas whereas when um octavia was feeling such grief by not being able to get back to her brother once she had finally reconnected with her brother um hope and dioza became her family and then that helped her get over her grief like you were saying and i think that they're trying to show Octavia trying to give that same sort of grace to to Echo to let her know, hey, you're not alone, you're family, because that's what helped her. Mm-hmm. And you see that that her her but little. What did they call her family? And they spent much more time together doing very perilous things. Right. I mean, Dioza <laughs> and Octavia raised a child together, and I mean, I think they banged but you know that's just my that's my head cannon um why not but uh yeah it was like i mean i understood what they were trying to go for there i don't necessarily know if they achieved that per se and like the acting in it was a little over the top for me um yeah with echo's face and how kind of the direction of that was a little like i think they should have panned out maybe to a wide shot for that a little bit because it was a little distracting um but yeah i just it didn't land 100 percent with me with with what they're doing and obviously it didn't land with echo either because she went cray (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i think like for me the hug was like that didn't bother me as much um as the after she cuts um, her temples, I guess. Um, I I thought that that was really like, it was weird, weird acting choices. Like, it's just like, she like looked to the right and then she moved that way. And I guess like, I think she's trying to portray like, now she's like a robotic soldier, but it just, it, it was just very, I guess like what I've called it in the past is like theatrical, but like, I don't know. Overacting. I don't want to describe it further. <laughs> overacting, yeah. As simple as overacting. I yeah. mean, the only thing else I have to say about that is the eye cutting thing is I it was at least to me, like how she cut her eye and with the black blood like down her face, it reminded me a lot like um Lex's eye makeup. Mm-hmm her warrior makeup and stuff like that that so i'm just like is again it's one of those things is that just incidental or is that connecting to something that will be important later on i don't know it's just an observation yeah um yeah i mean it seems like she's lost it and she's going on a revenge yeah. mission but i you guys didn't feel like it was revenge or what do you think uh well i thought she was um a genuinely she genuinely decided to like fight with the Bartobies, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think just, it I, could go I either way. See what the other plans. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what? 
I think it could go either way. Like, I think it, it was almost her cutting. Because didn't she say, like, if in Asgata, like, when they do that, it's kind of like their way of showing, like, they're kind of like, hey, I'm mourning the dead, but I'm past my pain. You know, like, mm-hmm. cutting. It's almost like cutting when people cut to feel something. Mm-hmm. And and she, you know, is, is now, like, it was almost like, is, is that a decision to disassociate from your grief? you know, and just ignore it? Like, is she reaching the denial stages? Or is it something where she's, like, now going on a a revenge tour to avenge Bellamy or whatever? I mean, I think it's the latter, but I just love that she's like, this is how we symbolize we've moved past it. And I'm like, have you, though? (laughs) Like, what? I don't know. Like, as always kind of seemed like they, like, held grudges to me, so I I don't know. Dramaticos. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that the symbol that you're ready to go to war is the same symbol as that you're, you're past your grief, mm-hmm. which, you know, makes me think, um, I mean, I was confused, it wasn't really explained, but like, if that's what it is, then I guess what they're saying is, you killed some of us, and we mourn them, now we're gonna come kill you, but it's not because... Blood must have blood? It's not because we're sad. We're angry. We're. It's not because we're mourning. It's because yeah, you. This is you. You deserve it or whatever, right? So like they want to mourn first and then go to war. Um. So it's interesting. It's like a very stoic thing, you know, yeah. like um, or or Spartan, you know, Spartan thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But yeah, I was is. Yeah, it's all kind of like you're saying. It's not clear. Is this well thought out or is this not? Yeah. Um, anything else about the scene? No. Um, cool. Okay. Um, let's move on to Mommy and Me time. I think this is one of our favorite scenes of the episode. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Who would like to talk about it first? Um, I I really liked it. it um, both on, you know, for reasons related to characters and story, but also for, like, some of the questions that it brought up. Um, so, like, when, um, what's her name? When uh, Dioza says... Uh, so, um, Hope says, you are trying to do the right thing, and Dioza says... Doing the, the right thing for the wrong reasons is not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was um, that made me think about <clears throat> a lot of the things that we've talked about on the podcast. Um, so, like, you can uh, connect that uh, to the whole, um, you know, means versus ends thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can say, like, what she's saying is um, the ends don't justify the means. Uh, but you can also think of it in terms of um, the, um, what's it called, like the, uh, we've talked about uh, consequentialism versus uh, deontology, where, you know, um, the question is, do you care about the consequences of your actions, um, the the final outcomes, or uh, do you, does it matter to you <coughs> that the way you bring it about um, respects other people's agency uh, and humanity, right? So a Kantian, um, which, you know, uh, the follower of Immanuel Kant, which is the founder of 
deontology would say that that uh, the respecting the agency of other people is the more important thing. So um, imagine like you lying to someone to do, to get them to do something that's good for them, right? Like I don't know, lying to someone to get them to take their pills or whatever. Um, did you do a good thing for them? Uh, did you do the right thing or not? Um, and you know you might think, well, the the consequence was good. They ended up taking their pills. Uh, but you might also think, but yeah, but by lying to them, I violated their agency. I took away their agency. Um, and that's not right. And so uh, deontologists would say that overrides. Like, it's not the consequences that matter. It's that you respect other people's agency and humanity in the process. Um, and so I, uh, if you think about Dioza, she was a freedom fighter slash terrorist. And, uh, you know, the difference between the two is, is kind of a matter of perspective, right? Like, if you think your, uh, your end goal is sacred and important and just, then you're a freedom fighter. But if you think it's, uh, it's not, then you're a terrorist. So that's kind of a matter of perspective. But she now thinks that regardless of whether you think your end goal was good and just or not, um, that's doing it the wrong way and therefore it's not doing the right thing mm -hmm. because um what a terrorist does is um a terrorist kills people who are not direct threats right so um a terrorist uses sort of proxy attacks uh as a tactic so instead of killing someone who's directly a threat to your life uh, a terrorist or a freedom fighter or even like a violent protester what they do is they they harm someone who they associate with a system or a group of people who who they consider to be threats um, but the people that they're harming aren't at the moment direct threats to them and so um, you know one of course you know you can question you can raise questions about the efficacy of that. You know, we've talked about violent versus non-violent protests. Uh, I think it was in the uh, humans podcast. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like <clears throat> historically, uh, one could make an argument that non-violent protests has always been more effective than violent protests because with violent protests, you just alienate even more people and, and justify their violence. But regardless of whether it works or not, right um it involves um harming people who are not direct threats and i think that's what i uh, um dioza is finding to be questionable or objectionable to what she did right because she says innocent people died for my right thing mm -hmm. um children and so on um yeah so i don't know what do you guys think about that yeah, I think for me, this is probably um, the best. It's definitely the best scene, I think, in the episode. Um, one of the better scenes, when I'm thinking about it, especially having um, Shaheen kind of explain, you know, what she says there about the right thing the wrong way, because it's almost like a, it's, it's like a thesis for the show, right? You know, there are no good guys and stuff like that. This has always kind of been this, this ongoing theme that they've been tackling with. And to me, this feels like one of the first true moments in which they actually kind of give that the weight that it deserves instead of being like a one-line throw-off that they just move past. 
um, where you kind of, you finally kind of see a character dig deeper and grapple with that in a way that you didn't really see before. You may have seen it one other time post um, Ton DC, I think, or post Finn's death with um, Clark and her mother. Um, and so this is another also incident where it, it's a, it's a parent thing with a child. And, and that's also, I think, what kind of changed Dioza to see that maybe her way before isn't the way the minute that she had this child and did, you know, live in peace for a moment there. And it's just, it's, to me, it's kind of sad that this, one of the better moments of the show, dealing with the, the grander themes that they have, comes from two characters who are fairly new. I mean, Dioza we've had for a couple of seasons now, but Hope, this is you know, her first season. So she is a new character this season. Um, and it's the best probably parent moment between a child um, and their parent versus we've had the main character and her mother was the second lead in the show. And they never really gave Clark and Abby a moment beside like the one I referenced like this one. So I think that's a shame that that kind of didn't happen because I think there's a lot of interesting like things that you could grapple with as far as this is the show at its best to me mm-hmm. and always has been. It's peak then. Yeah, it is. This is this is peak the 100 when they they actually make you think about something. And you can see with how we're discussing it or, or Shaheen talking about, you know, what that ultimately means. Like. The moments in the show when it's at its best explain why they find themselves in the moral quandaries they do and why it's hard to make the choices that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes they make those choices easy because they always make one so ridiculous. It's they make it to where there's only one choice, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, and, and not only does it grapple with some of those grander themes that should be the big themes of the, the overall season, but it's it's also again when i go back to character arcs and doing right by characters and not having plot drive the character but character drive the plot this is one of those moments where i think one of the best character arcs that they've had even though she's not been on screen all that much is with dioza coming to this moment um and dealing with her her violent past and I mean, it's kind of funny that this episode ends with, okay, we're we're going to grapple. I'm going to, like, fight with my daughter <laughs> to get her to see my way or to get her to yeah. understand, even though it kind of ends in an emotional, like, way and then go fight, you know, again. But it's nice to see, finally, they allow an emotional moment to breathe instead of having it be, like, three lines and then we're out and then we forget all about it. Like, they kind of, they let that moment linger and they let, Dioza not only grapple with her past and stuff like that, but deal with the fact that for her and this whole time thing, you know, she just was with her young daughter and got ripped away. And then now she's coming to face with a 25 year old adult Mm -hmm. who she was hoping to find a better life for and a life that wasn't violent. And then it's swinging around and kind of seeing a reflection of herself Um, And then I think that goes to a whole other philosophical discussion of nature versus nurture here because, you know, hope is a product of two really violent parents and then she ends up being violent herself, even though she was raised by, you know, other other people or Dev in this case, who they referred to as as her dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I love I love the scene. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good scene. I I was thinking when as you were talking, it's almost like Jason, um, got sick of the original character he cre- characters he created and, and decided to give all the good endings to the other ones that. <laughs> I mean, used. honestly, yeah, yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> or good arcs. It's unfortunate because it, it's just like. I don't think the other characters have lost their sparkle. It's just that yeah. Jason has lost his enthusiasm for writing them, which is just like the audience has not lost any of their enthusiasm for the right. characters. So I, I don't understand. He's kind of like a dumb floppy little dog who like is ball and then sees a squirrel over there. And it's like, Oh, squirrel yeah. like, <laughs> moves on. And yeah. So he, it, he seems to that's, and I think that's kind of why season by season, it starts to feel even more disjointed is because you can feel kind of a disinterest. Yeah, and what the original themes were that kind of made this show build to what it was, and then on to the next shiny thing. Yeah. And even now, and we'll see when we watch the um uh back the backdoor pilot. I think that's going to be the next episode. Mm-hmm. Like how well done and and thorough that is versus this stuff. I mean, people are already raving about it, so I think that's absolutely wow. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is, I mean. What's really unfortunate about that is that, like, this is the final season of the show, which I probably mentioned several times, but I can't, I don't know if it was recorded or not. Um, But, like, it's the final season of the show. So the fact that all the attention and care is being given to the backdoor pilot, it it sucks. It totally sucks. Um, Like you said, Amy, like, the final season should be about honoring, like, the heart of the show. Honoring the audience and the journey that they have traveled with the show. Because, you know, like you and I have, we're here in season one. Like I've watched every season live. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of us who have. So I get like, I, I, you know, there's been a lot of cool things that they've introduced. And like you said, Diaz is great. Um, and Hope's not too shabby. Like, <laughs> um, but question though. Why are all decisions made with violence? <laughs> um, like we have this great mother daughter moment, um, which I really felt. I thought I thought that it was great too. Um, but then, like they like fight it out, and it's just like on the show, everything is like decided on violence. Yeah, basically, you know. Well, yeah, yeah there's the whole thing about like. like- what Shaheen was saying Sorry. about every time they meet a new group of people, it's like you meet yeah. someone and it's greeted with violence. So why not end all things with violence as well? Yeah. Yeah. There's the whole thing about like people seem to really respect strength and power, especially like the power to fight physically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Specifically. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and it kind of made is again one of those things that kind of made more sense with the grounders. We kind of understood why in their culture, it's really important that you're able to physically fight, and they kind of respect you and they see that you're good at that. Mm-hmm. It also shows discipline and and you know it shows that you really train yourself and you're actually in control of your uh, impulses and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but yeah, like it's just it made sense. For grounders, but it kind of got again extended to every group of people we've seen. Yeah, from one end so of the universe to the other, it's like this, like <laughs> yeah. 
very Across like the galaxies. <laughs> yeah, so like fighting this very like male centric skill. Yeah, um, is what's a show of strength everywhere. Like the most respected show of strength, which I just I don't like that. Like there's so many other things. Like I think, like Raven, for example. And her intelligence and like Clark's strategy, yeah. just like the fact that it just always devolves to violence is, I don't know, it's silly. Yeah, well, and, and it seems too like a lot of the characters along the way who aren't as strong and want to like, are, are more peaceful, like, I guess, characters mm-hmm. or, you know, peaceful coded characters, you, you should say, mm-hmm. um, that they're the ones that end up not making it to the end. Like, they're the ones that end up being like the sacrifice of a season or they get killed off somehow. Like, or anytime there's a character off. that steps up that wants peace or another way, like, they don't mm-hmm. make it. Yeah, or they're given the idiot ball. Or they're given the idiot ball. And like, so to me, it's like, what What are you trying to say? Like, that's where it gets confusing to me. Like, if you're always killing off or kind of having something happen to the peaceful characters to where they switch to where they're no longer peaceful or they you just, you know, let them die or they, they kill themselves off. Like, what? And then all the violence is what keeps being the 100 through line. Like, what is it then are you trying to say at the end of this all like what is going to be your end statement here what is end game because so far it's not really pointing to anything like happy like nothing it almost points to like to the point where i'm just like well fuck it why don't we just let shit hate a win and and rule us all like i i don't because i don't even know anymore like (laughs) what's the fucking point great question (laughs) what if it's just a cynical thing like you know it's um, very cynical. It's what people do. It is, and it's one of those things, though. Weird, considering the times that we're living in now, mm-hmm. um, where it's almost like, and and I get that you know it's it's written months you know behind, but still, it's the past four years have been kind of a shithole worldwide, and it's one of those things where it's like, hey, read the room, fellas. Like this <laughs> isn't necessarily what we want to see in our media now. And it's one of those things, I remember, it's been a long time since I've been in college, but um, uh, one of my history professors um, who taught a lot of the modern history in my U.S. history classes mm-hmm. often tied in media when he was teaching um, that what, whatever was going on in the times was often reflected in the media, whether it be song, you know, um, music and books, um, what was written, uh, movies, so, and, and it usually was always a counterbalance to what was going on mm-hmm. in some way. Um, so it's like one of those things, like what we need now <laughs> isn't this in the times that we're living in. It just seems very like tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird, right? Cause on the one hand you might say it's, um, very apropos, like yeah. we've talked about twice this episode, like one time with, um, you know, excessive use of violence by enforcers. Um, and then, you know, the whole thing about like violent protests versus nonviolent protests. Um, it seems apropos. And so, if, and if the, you know, the message is to reflect on these things, that's great. But on the other hand, there seems to be a tension in within the philosophy of the show because it often does feel like they're saying humans are just shitty and this is just what they do. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's a little, you know, 
Yeah. Which is <laughs> it, like it's apropos, but it's also like not clear if um like there's a positive message or it's just mm-hmm. a negative message. And I mean positive and negative even like in the philosophical sense, like you know, philosophers often distinguish between claims that say that something is not true versus claims that say what exactly is true. And so yeah, it's like is it just a negative thesis that like this isn't the way but that's it. We don't really think there is any other way. It's just that this is not the way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like, hey guys, so pick simple. a lane. <laughs> just pick a lane and <laughs> stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do like, though, this is like changing notes, but when Hope says, they, they took my mommy from me, um, <laughs> it was like, that is such a cheesy line. It's like so cheesy. Mm-hmm. But like, I have to say that Shelby Flannery, like, totally delivered it. Like, I was impressed yeah. that it didn't sound worse. <laughs> it just, like, it, she really made it feel, like, I mean, almost cute, I guess. <laughs> she did I a mean, good she job. she was with, 10 when it happened. So. Yeah. And, and yeah. That's, that, that's obviously what they were trying to portray. But still, like, having a 25-year-old know, person a say mommy, <laughs> it's. <laughs> took my mom. It's like, it, it's going to be weird, but I think that she actually yeah. delivered it really well. And it was yeah. less weird than it could have been. It's related to the whole thing we talked about with like, um, again, like they they showing up and use showing excessive force. is like, you terrified this child. Mm-hmm. You, like, you don't have to do that. Like, the, she now thinks you're evil. And that was completely unnecessary because like, you just wanted them there. You don't want to, like, do anything to them, apparently. You want them to join you. So, like, you absolutely, like, traumatized this child for no reason. And now she thinks you're enemies. Yeah. And and it was a a really interesting time, too, for her to actually, like, tell her about her real dad. Like, like, oh, I'm going to tell you about your real dad for the first time. And he was a shitbag. Like, (laughs) yeah. And she's like, oh, I guess good thing you're with Jeff. (laughs) It was just like, she oh, that's weird. She had nothing positive to say about what? Curry. Yeah, and she was, like, very forthcoming about it. Like, basically, like, I yeah. used him for sex to, like, um, band together, like, to stop, you know, whatever was going on, you know, for them mm-hmm. to usurp her power. Mm-hmm. She's just like, it was a power move, and, uh, well, I got knocked up, and here we are. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Best mistake ever. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, honey. I love you. <laughs> and it was just so funny. Like she's talking about how she didn't want this future for her, and then all of a sudden it's just like, well, your dad was a shit bag, and here we are now. And um, well, you know my bad <laughs> side, fight. and I'm over it. <laughs> <Say lovey. laughs> um. Yeah, it's like she was so hesitant to tell her about herself. Uh huh. <laughs> but then it was like, oh, by the way, your dad was a shit back complete psychopath <laughs> I can't remember if we talked about this when we started again but like the whole thing where um, like the circle of violence started with did I say this already like the um, Dev made the plan of hope that involved killing the Bardo bees mm-hmm. and that's where it starts not making sense <laughs> because like if they just like if they were just going to take them in I don't get it. There has to be yeah, something like sinister. Why don't they have just say, hey, guys. 
Yeah, are we yeah. missing something? There's a girl here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's weird, right? Because true... like we didn't know anything about the Bartabies back then, so we thought, well, what do we know? Yeah. Maybe they're all just weird, like culty soldiers. It made sense at the but time, but they're not. So like, <laughs> all of that was unnecessary. And and it would have made more sense if they weren't with Bartobies, but they were. Uh huh. That right. would have known what it was like. So yeah. I don't understand. I think it like it really does not make sense. And unless there's like, you know, those trees are so tall, the arboretory. I need to stop trying to say that word. I can't say it. Um, <laughs> the reason the trees are so tall there is because they, you know. The people who aren't doing a great job at like whatever whatever they're supposed to do become tree food, and they're going to become tree food. <laughs> That's the only thing that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> do, do we have anything else? Um. Let's see. On um, Hope and mm-hmm. Dioza. Before before we move to them and Octavia and Echo joining the last war. Um, yeah, no, that's it. Yeah. I don't I didn't actually have anything about them joining the last war apart from I don't understand. <laughs> that just seemed like a really quick turnaround. It would that just that all kind of felt like it went really fast yeah. in the episode from going to these emotional moments between Octavia and Echo and then and then the Tioza and Hope, and then all of a sudden, because Echo cuts her face, she just walks out and be like, okay, we're ready to join, and so are these guys. Like, did she ask them first? Like, I don't, like, <laughs> when did they come to, like, this group decision that they were all going to join this war? They just kind of look at each other in the hallway and are like, yeah, okay, we're with her, I guess. She's kind of yeah. lost her mind, but I mean, we're all in it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah, they're like, yeah, we're with Psycho over here. <laughs> 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 don't mind her. <laughs> she does this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't understand what Octavia was hinting at when she was like, "Why did they put us together?" And like, why like they gave us like, did she say like beds and food and water? Like yeah. what? Oh, yeah, I don't understand sharp what objects. <laughs> sharp objects. Um, I, I shards and shivs. Exactly. I couldn't understand what they were getting at. Whether it was like, like. The one thing I see, it's like, they're not that bad. The Bardo Bees are not that bad. So it, it would be hilarious if, like, Echo turned a corner with, like, her, like, war paint. And there's, like, a children's playroom. <laughs> She's, like, going to war, walking by, like, a bunch of kids, like, on a seesaw. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't really know what to make of that. I don't know if you guys had other thoughts. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, didn't if, know what to if, make of that either. Yeah, like, I mean, I it did seem like they weren't really trying to, like, if you have a bunch of people prisoner, mm-hmm. you don't want them to be plotting together, so you don't want to put them together, and also, I don't know, is but on the other hand, like, if they wanted them to join them, they could have just said so, like, was that, like, a riddle or something, like, they had to figure it out? Like, they, Yeah, were they, they in an just... escape room? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, and I mean, are we sure that Octavia isn't like a plant, you know, because no. she's kind of been with Bardo for a bit. And, you know, like there's that the whole yeah. the Bellamy death like scene see, still seems yeah. really weird to me. So I'm, I'm not even sure what kind of 
where Octavia's alliances lie right now, considering yeah. her emotions are kind of muted. It's possible that the whole Bellamy memory is uh, manufactured and Octavia is in on it. Mm-hmm. There's a whole grand plan uh, that involves making people think Bellamy's dead. And that explains why she's so nonchalant about it. She doesn't seem too shaken up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And also, yeah, some other weirdness. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving to the next scene, which, what did I title this? Um, Clark and Co. arrive. Because that's basically all that happens. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was happy that the lead of the show got to be in this episode, in the final season of the show. Um, <laughs> and it lasted about 15 seconds. Um, what did you guys think about that scene? Um, what did I write in the notes? Oh, I think I just wrote Bellamy's dead. Womp womp. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It just, again, it kind of felt like it very muted, like kind of scene for that to Mm -hmm. be. It felt like the purpose of that scene was just to inform, just to have a reaction from Clark about Bellamy's death. Like that's kind of how that felt because they like show up and then they're like, what the fuck? Oh, Gabriel. Oh, my God. Where's everybody? And then, hey, Bellamy's dead. And then everyone looks to Clark. Clark (laughs) looks despondent. Like and the music of it, like it was really kind of weird how that was set up. And it felt like. Clark's. Re- I know there were some people who were complained about like Clark's reaction, especially because Lindsay herself, I think, said that she had a very different idea of what she wanted that scene to be. I have it pulled up. Do you want me to read what she said? Yeah, because didn't she like? She's the one that said that, right? That was yeah from an interview. So, um, this is what she said just before that moment, which is this moment. Um, Clark finding out. Um, that plenty of fans had been eagerly anticipating. Um, Clark learned that Bellamy was supposedly dead. Turns out that what that was one of the coast, um, one of coaster, and I'm like, why can't I talk right now? Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, turns Four out that beers. was one of <laughs> co-star and episode directors, uh, Lindsay Morgan's favorite scene from the episode, although it wasn't her initial idea. She says, in the beginning, I wanted to make it more of a moment. I wanted to make it so she fell to her knees or was in slow motion. I talked to Eliza about it, and she, of course, was game. But in talking with the showrunner, Jason, and the writers, that vision shifted. Um, Jason was like, you know, Bellamy's her best friend. We need to convey more shock than desolation, (laughs) Morgan said. So the tone of the scene changed. It was less an overt display of mourning and more one of quiet, quiet heartbreak as well as confusion um which a fuck you <laughs> yeah i think the weird thing about it is at this point in their friendship i'll use the word friendship that we'll just fair. leave it at that <laughs> um no, it's fair. that she wouldn't like that's kind of the reaction she would have about Bellamy's death in like season three or something, you know, like oh, one, one, or one. one, yeah, like and how considering everything that they've done to keep each other alive mm-hmm. in the in the past couple of seasons, you know, like everything Bellamy did to to save Clark from Josephine, um, everything, you know, like 
they've gotten to a point in their friendship. I use dick fingers, which is what I call quote hands. Um, (laughs) I say friendship. Dick fingers, I love that. (laughs) That it makes sense that it wouldn't just, it would be a complete devastation because of everything they've done to help each other get to the end sort of thing. You know, like everything that they've been together, like that is a moment where it's not just about the moment in the season. That's a moment that should have been a culmination of their entire friendship and how she would feel in his death. And again, that just like they didn't pull the trigger. They held back where they should have like really. (laughs) Well, what I take issue with is so, you know, the whole like to blark or not to blark, whatever. Um, So for people who are on the not side, it's like, and I I mean, like with the show, that work on the show. Um, mm-hmm. They're like, you know, platonic relationships are equally important. Like, it's so important to show these really meaningful, um, complex platonic relationships. And I'm like, in reading this, I'm like, where is that? <laughs> this is not how somebody would react to their, like, very good, you know, platonic soulmate. Dick quotes. Or dick hands. Um, so, like, I don't understand how that makes sense. Like, so to me, I'm like, does Jason understand human relationships? I don't think he has good friendships. Like, I don't know. I just like, does he not have siblings? Friends. Maybe Um, not. Like, I don't, because I don't think he understands motherhood either. I've I've had a lot of problems with how he conveys um, parental relationships on this show, mm -hmm. particularly motherhood. Um, but yeah, I, I I mean, I feel like I will I will throw him a bone and say that I think they tried their best in the scene or I think Lindsay tried her best with the directing, you know, Lindsay by getting did. everyone. Yeah, mm-hmm. getting everyone to look Clark's like it wasn't because it definitely wasn't framed as a scene where this is everyone dealing with hearing that Bellamy's dead. It was, again, one of those scenes where this is everyone looking at a singular person to see what their reaction is. They had the decency death. to make it about Clark. Right. And just like they did, like in the beginning of season five, when Bellamy finds out, you know, Clark is alive through Maddie's like, Mm -hmm. and he's like, Clark's alive. And it's everyone in the scene. It's their faces looking at Bellamy to see what his reaction is. And it's those kind of things where it's the show shows you how important these two are to each other. But then they don't follow through on on that importance. It's like they they feel like (laughs) (laughs) they feel like that scene did it. Like, see, we gave you this scene where it shows by the reaction that we gave you and then we can move on and they don't talk like it's and then they're not there. It's it. Yeah, it's they don't have good follow through on some of the things that they kind of set up. And then they go back and pretend like that's not what we meant at all. Like, it's very confusing with like how they deal with this stuff. I don't actually have a problem with the scene. I thought that Eliza right. did like a great job. Like I felt like I felt soul wrenching heartbreak. Um, and I like they played the Bullark song. Like, yeah, you know they did things that I thought made it seem like Clark really felt it. So <laughs> the fact that like you read that afterwards and you're just like, what? <laughs> so I'm more upset that that was like the direction. Yeah. Like, I'm happy that with that direction, it didn't fuck it up. <laughs> um, but, like, when you think about it, like, Clark talking about with Gaia earlier in the season, where she's like, I, I can't lose anybody else. Like, she just right. lost her mom. Now she loses her best friend. And it's like, I mean, I guess Wells she didn't give a fuck about. <laughs> um, I just don't get it. Like, I, I just feel like there's so much, like, 
Jason loves mining like those like um super emotional like uh gut wrenching moments. And this totally should have been one more than like Becca that we have not seen on screen. Um, and so the fact that like it was not used for emotion, although they I know it was, it was, but like the intention was not to really dig into it. It's just, I mean, it's they it's like it's it weird because sense. they did and they didn't. Because they did, and it, like you said, I don't really have a problem per se with that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just my feeling burnt by the series overall, in yeah. which my my second emotion about it is, well, where do they go from here? Because mm-hmm. knowing this show, we're going to go to the next episode, and Clark's going to be mission-driven again, and it's not even going to come up. You know, They don't ever really let people sit in their grief on this show. Mm-hmm. Or let it become a thing so much. So it's always like, oh, yeah, that's great for the moment. But then we get to move past it. Um, I think the only person where they let their grief kind of drive their character arc was Octavia. Mm-hmm. Um, or this season. <laughs> yeah. And and it's just... And, 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 and also the scene was kind of shortcut because it wasn't their ending scene. It's something that maybe should have been the ending scene of the episode. Um, but I get where they wanted to put in the the Cadigan yeah. stuff as their big reveal. And also, but it's, they're yeah. not going to follow up on it, so. Yeah, it just, so, <laughs> it was kind of, that's why I was just like, womp, womp, like, because it, it was so quick to me. And then they just move on to like, okay, we, we took care of that, but now we're on to like, we're going to blow your mind even further. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I just like, you know, I'm, I'm. I'm not upset with the scene. I like the scene. I'm just like mad at like and confused by the lack of understanding of like relationships. And this this actually explains, you know, when we were talking about Gina earlier and how um they did a better job like sort of like quick building that. Mm-hmm. But um what really made me upset, and this is true um of Becco too, is that there didn't need to be that relationship to drive the story. Like, Bellamy was betrayed, and people who were relying on him for safety died. So it was, like, his fault because he vouched for somebody. And by vouching for that person, these people died. So that is a huge influencer and a driver. Like, how much guilt would you feel if a bunch of families with kids died because you made a bad call? Like, you would feel awful. You would be, like, really fucked up by that. So they didn't need Gina to die because, especially because the reverberations of that, we only ever talk about the fact that Gina died Um, and not the fact that a bunch of families died, which is insane. Um, And so the same thing with Becco in season five. It's like there needed to be a romantic relationship and then conflict with Octavia for Bellamy to have conflict with Octavia. But, like, the whole part was about how Octavia, like, went off the rails and Bellamy was like struggling with that. So it should have, like he didn't need his girlfriend to be yelled at by his sister. Like that didn't need to happen at all. Like, (laughs) um, like you remove echo from season five, nothing changes. So that's what frustrates me because again, it comes back to this thing where like, do they understand relationships? I don't think so. (laughs) Um, because if you think that it needs to be a romantic relationship to motivate a character to do something, and or that's to, the only or to thing, a character to make them do yeah, something, like, and that's 
Yeah, they always take it, they always, it's like they always have to take it one step further, or they always have to add too much to it. It's kind of like when you're at, like, a Sherry's, and you're drinking coffee, and the waitress, like, comes by and tops you off, and you're like, no, but she just gives you more before you can say no. Like, they're that waitress, it's like, keep pouring you the thing that you don't want, and you're just like, god damn it, would you stop? It's enough. Like, this scene, like, I have enough caffeine right now, this scene has enough oomph that we can get, like, yeah, Bellamy didn't need to have any other factor keeping him at loggerheads with his sister this whole time. Like, there was already a history going back to the Lincoln stuff beyond just Mm -hmm. everything else that never got resolved. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, the same with everything else. Like, there's already things in there in relationships that can cause friction in relationships without like killing people or making it like the most extreme like it's like mm-hmm. the show likes to deal in hyperbole a lot mm-hmm. um everything has to be like one pendulum strength swing to the other yeah like this could have been you again you can take echo out of this like out of the last few seasons and have it be dioza losing it over losing hope or something you know like nothing changes <laughs> um yeah. Anyways, uh, so Bill Cadigan is alive. <laughs> <laughs> Who was surprised? <laughs> yeah. Nobody. Um, well, we yeah. I don't. I don't know about nobody. Nobody on this podcast was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff um, going on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, when Bill Cadigan wakes up he says some interesting things but also the whole um you know the way the whole thing seems to be connecting to um the city of light and the hive mind aspect of it all right is uh is interesting i mean so he says when he wakes up he says you again um so he's seen anders before right Mm-hmm. But then Anders says, Anders introduces himself. He says, Anders, my shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what that's about. Somehow he's seen him before, but he also doesn't know who he is. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, say that again. I didn't understand that part. So when uh, Bill Cadigan wakes up, he's, he looks at Anders and says, you again. Uh-huh. And then Anders says, You're, um, he introduces himself. He says, Anders, my shepherd. Maybe he um, recognized him but didn't know the name. Yeah, so what is that about? That's interesting. Like, has he been awoken before? Um, Do like, they, like, wake him up periodically time? and give him, like, updates or something? That's <laughs> what I think, but he's living my dream. Like, we talked about what we would do on, like, a... Yeah. On the, like, would we go to a planet going faster or to a planet going slower? And yeah. I was like, no, like, ideally, I would, like... Go somewhere going, um, I guess, slower and then just check in to see, like, how technology has progressed. (laughs) So I think that that's what he's doing. Like, he's just cryo-frozen and just woken up, like, once every, like, century. I don't know. Well, I guess not century. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because he then also says, if you have have woken me this early, uh, you must have news. So... What is this early? I mean, how does he even know what time it is? Why is he a vampire? Um, you know? So yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, he... By this early, does he expect... Like, does he think that if it's the time 
to wake him up, then everything's gonna be like chaotic because the war has already started. Mm-hmm. So like, as soon as he wakes up, he knows the war hasn't started. But then he asks, he's like, "Has the war begun?" Yeah, and that doesn't so, make sense because it makes it seem like there's a specific thing they need to wake him up for. But at the same time, yeah. they're like, "Why are you waking me up? Is it has it already begun?" Like. Wouldn't they wake you up yeah. beforehand to let you know? Because isn't that the thing they're giving you updates on? Like when, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, a lot of it was obviously like you know was written to dialogue, so I assume they they know what what they're doing, or there's an explanation. Mm-hmm. But there was also a lot of other stuff that um, Anner said that were uh, intriguing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. So he says um, the the final evolution of the species talks about transcending, and then the um, you know the speakers that are always um, broadcasting propaganda on Bardo, uh, they were saying um, we will finally conquer our lesser emotions, mm-hmm. uh, and they're saying like war and petulance and famine will end, and uh, and then they're saying that. Uh, there was a line that said, um, it's been prophesized in this life or the next. So that also kind of makes me think, hmm, the next life, uh, what is, what is that? What? So it all kind of sounds like with, you know, together with the other stuff we've heard mm-hmm. so far, uh, they keep to be talking about the, the explosions, uh, the, that lady that was praying whatever, when uh, Gabriel came into the room, um, she was talking about the explosions, mm-hmm. um, the bombs on Earth. And so, yeah, it's all it all seems to be hinting strongly in, in some sort of alley direction. The, alley do they have, like, a better... Yeah. Yeah, like, City of Light 2.0, 3.0. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they have, they have a better version. And it all raises questions of, like, uh, what is because in with the original city of light um it was an easy choice for clark even though like she spent a little bit of time debating um ali before uh shutting down the city of light um the it was a relatively easy choice because they made the city of light so coercive mm-hmm. that it was just like okay well clearly no one wants this um so if that if this time if it's either going to be the same way like it's going to be super coercive um which will be boring because it will be the same mm-hmm. dilemma or if it's not then i wonder what is going to be the what is going to be clark's reason for saying this is a bad thing presumably i think that's what's going to happen mm-hmm. clark is going to say no this whole bill cadigan thing transcendence thing is, is a bad thing and it's just going to fuck it up and and yeah so yeah what is or what what if they can put everybody's consciousness into that like so they already Mm -hmm. had like bellamy and the mcap what if they upload them to that so clark is joining like by accepting it this time she's joining everybody Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that died well yeah i wonder if this time they give people a choice and so then like the end of it is some people accepting transcending and the other people staying or whatever mm-hmm. you know because that feels like a bittersweet yeah, that would be thing a nice... that and a choice yeah 
Yeah, that would be a nice thing. Like some people saying, you know what, I want to stay in this, uh, you know, flesh. And uh, I know it will entail a lot of like fighting and stupid things and emotions, but that's okay. And then other people choosing to be in the city of blood. Because that was Clark's demand for Allie. Like Mm -hmm. it seemed like the only thing she wanted. Because she was like, give them a choice. Let them choose if they want to be in it or Mm -hmm. not. And I'll let it stand. So. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I kind of have a feeling like that's um, kind of have a feeling there's going to be a switch and Clark's going <laughs> to switch. So. <laughs> well, I mean, and then we also have to somehow tie in Sanctum's role in all of this, too, or mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Like, it's it's weird to like, what is Sanctum's purpose? I mean, I'm going to assume it's going to be a lot of the commander stuff and, and the knowledge through there. Through I mean, all roads tie. All roads lead to Becca. Essentially, mm-hmm. I mean, even with mm-hmm. Bill Cadigan, like, because obviously he, yeah. she dis- is deceased because of him, so he knows a lot of of Becca's um, research or whatnot. So, yeah, ultimately, it's going to come down. Like, is so I'm curious to what like is the Sanctum story? Are they going to get all the information they need to get out of like Shit Hada and mm-hmm. and the the flame and then kill off that story by the end. And then the end game is going to be kind of like a Becca versus Cadigan sort of moment. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately it'll be people's um, free will in which they decide their um, outcome, whether or not they want to ascend or mm. whatever, whatever that is going to be <laughs> and um, yeah. stay. I think I just like figured out all the things. <laughs> Um, so except for one thing but so maddie has like all those memories in her head Mm -hmm. so it's totally gonna be she's gonna go into the mcap and that's how all those commanders are gonna end up in like the whatever alley 3.0 yeah and everybody else and congratulations clexa and And becca one game apparently (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm happy uh-huh. for other people. So, turns out Maddie was the key. What? So you're saying turns out Maddie was the key? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, yeah, like yeah, how is Clark the key? That's the only thing I can't really understand here because I feel like yeah, Maddie's the one that kind of has a lot of the information right now. Like, sure, Clark had the flame briefly, but Maddie's the one that's kind of held on to the information where we really have no indication that Clark has any of that, like, residual information because of every, the funky shit that happened with Josephine last season. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the person who holds, like, a lot of the answers right now is a cross between, like, Maddie and Shadeda. That's sticking forever now, you guys. It fucked me up. Thanks. <laughs> um, that that they seem that that's going to be an integral part to like how this goes down. But yeah, considering, especially considering how little we've seen of Clark up until this point and where she connects with various characters, because basically we've only seen her kind of look also drug like maybe she's on the same like xanax prescription that octavia's on because she's also kind of seemed very muted you know minus the scene of her like kind of mourning her mother but again then the next day it's fine um you know it <laughs> it's just kind of weird kind of she doesn't really fit in any of the narratives right now um mm-hmm. 
she's kind of floating between, you know, like all these spaces and now she's here, finds out Bellamy's dead. And that's kind of like all her role was in this part. So it'll be interesting moving forward. Like how does Clark then integrate herself as being the lead character back into the story again? So far she hasn't been. And what exactly, like they keep saying the key and it keeps bringing me back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) And Dawn, like Buffy's sister Dawn in season five, and like she she was the key and she unlocked a dimension. She unlocked um a portal to other worlds. And they were demon worlds. Sorry, spoilers, but it's been twenty years, assholes. Oh no. (laughs) No, I'm talking about the show. I'm being sarcastic. Oh. Uh yeah, bullshit. Like they (laughs) half that writer's room has seen the show because they do so many things that it was just like, oh well that happened on Buffy, you stealer um i mean it's one thing if they're like oh yeah we saw buffy and it's an homage to that because it's great instead of saying oh i've never seen that and it's like "Uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh-huh so yeah it's like is so what does she unlock like is it like dawn where she unlocks like this kind of hell mouth to various like hell dimensions who knows (laughs) so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um i really hope that there is some um, sort of um, optional ending to it, like you were saying, where like uh, the hive mind uh, type thing is is presented as one viable option because I I really do think that a, a hive mind would be a good thing. Like you can imagine a hive mind where you keep your uh, individuality still. Uh, it's just that you can hook up, you're always hooked up and whenever you want, maybe like the person has to grant you access or something, but you, whenever you want, you can, um, like feel what someone else is feeling and see the world literally the way that they're seeing it and understand why they think what they think, why, why they feel the way they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that is a great thing that that's, you know, that is really an, a next level evolution for human beings because we you know we've had you know a lot of awakenings throughout our history and um you know enlightenment was the awakening where you know we decided reason is a better um you know yardstick to go by Mm -hmm. than uh you know a lot of other things that traditionally were used uh, but but that the problem with that is that we're not really rational people because <laughs> rational beings because our reason has evolved to uh, help us recruit people to our team. Mm-hmm. Our re- reason is fundamentally biologically tribal. Um, so we're I don't know how we're gonna transcend the tribal state that we live in currently uh, unless we gain the ability to actually feel things from other people's perspective or see things from other people's perspective and not try to understand what they think but literally see it the way they see it and be convinced of things the way that they are Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you know you can go back to your own perspective but now you have that perspective and um, wouldn't that like stop all the conflicts and everything Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah I, I really hope they present like a positive um, possibility there. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds like it's almost like they're giving them the power of empathy. <laughs> you have leveled up to <laughs> yeah. have ultimate empathy. Um, mm-hmm. The and I think 
Yeah, I like the idea of it, too, because I think we had talked about earlier about any time they present this other option, they always present it as a negative. And therefore, it kind of makes the choice easy because there's not really a choice. It's it's you know, it's so um, I think it would be interesting for once to have them present it and have it not be that all that terrible um and which i don't really necessarily think the city of light was all that terrible either i think this will be like the city of light times 10 um Mm -hmm. that but they presented it in a way to make the narrative feel like no 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 humans need to do this shit on our own us big stupid dogs um and so she's gonna pull the lever (laughs) because of course she is um like I wanted yeah. to be a moment to where a Clark's not really making the decision for everybody else. Um, they need to evolve into a point where everyone gets to make that choice for themselves, and that the solution, that the other thing that they're choosing from, or that they can choose, isn't necessarily this. They they don't put it as a negative. It's just weird because it doesn't feel like they're seeding it that way now because, like I said, they're seeding it like, here's your antagonist on the left, here's your antagonist on the right. What's going to happen? Um, yeah, if they could somehow make this to where it's not so, like, this two-sided argument of good and, and bad, like, they can make it yeah. something that's more in the gray and people get to decide their own path within that that would be interesting to me i don't know if they'll totally. do that but that would be interesting yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. yeah. cool so anything else before we get into well actually um i mean this is kind of a well actually but it's just like throughout i keep writing in my notes evil like beard equals evil can you notice that a lot <laughs> there's a lot of really awesome beards going hey. on hey Shaheen you might be evil I don't know (laughs) but it was like every single time I was like oh my god uh, Shit Hata has an amazing beard oh he's evil and then Nelson like oh he's got a really beautiful beard and then it's just like oh he's turned to the evil side and then they wake up Cadigan and I'm like yep there's another beard he must be evil (laughs) just wait for Bellamy to be evil now I know Oh my god. Why not? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, beard is tricky because, like, it's like a sign of wisdom, but, like, it could be, like, dark wisdom, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> it just so happened, it was like all the bearded gentlemen on the show happened to be not on the good side. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, but actually. Yeah, no, it's. it's Huh? I'm uh, sure. Yeah. Oh wait, I had one more thing that I was just gonna say about the whole Bill Cadigan situation. Um, it was kind of going back to like Shaheen being like, "Well, it's not a surprise to us, but maybe other people." And you, what you're right because I think of a lot of the people who watch the show now mm-hmm. are like a lot of newer viewers. They've gotten a lot of newer viewers, you know, that have gone through it. That I don't necessarily think that that was like the aha moment that they were looking for. Because I think I read a review somewhere where the people who were reviewing it were like, we had to look up his name because we didn't know who the hell that was. Casuals. Um, so it's it's like, it's a really good callback for us that have seen it because we've been waiting for it to come. So it was kind of like one of those moments where like, yeah. okay, finally, guys. Mm-hmm. But for everyone else, it it really kind of fell flat because... 
I, they haven't. Yeah, no one knows who he is. You no know, one knows who he is, and they haven't done a good job of like seeding him or the second dawn throughout. Like they've done little things, like in the bunker, you saw like the second dawn, like little emblems or whatever. But as far as Bill Cadigan, the person behind it, they really haven't like kind of like seeded clues throughout the seasons to get to this moment to really make it be a good moment. Yeah, he was introduced very quickly and briefly in season four and then never talked about Yeah, it. on an yeah. iPad video at that. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. It wasn't like he had his own scene. I mean, good on them for getting the same actor to do it because it was kind of a waste that actor has actually been in things and it was like, wow, he you got this actor to come on to do like an iPad video <laughs> scene? <laughs> I hope yeah. you got paid well. That was itself a sign that he would come back. But yeah, I mean, it's um, I, I kind of like that. Uh, I, I'm kind of torn because like I like the um, dedicated viewers of a, of a work get like more out of it mm-hmm. because like we've been plugged into the whole thing the whole time uh, whereas other people can still watch it and just be like oh okay big beard um villain um who cares if he's coming back or his first time or whatever right mm-hmm. and they will still enjoy it fine um on the other hand i i think yeah like i don't know it's uh like if he was gonna come back he could have featured yeah. Uh, like story wise. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll it's... see more of him, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. it'll be interesting. I don't. This whole Shepherd thing. I mean, I have a lot of questions, which is good. You have bad <laughs> feelings about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what I feel anymore. <laughs> it's hard to yeah. feel connected when you get the characters you care about aren't in it, really. Um,. But, like, yeah, they're doing cool things, so that's good. Um, I didn't have any... I had one, well, actually. Okay, where Amori mm-hmm. takes Nelson's water glass, and then, like, ten minutes later, um, gives it <laughs> to... Um, gives the DNA results, the results, to Jackson. And then he matches those to um, Nelson's parents, and I was just like, in the span of a chess game or less, they match DNA results. <laughs> yeah, like what kind of technology do they have there on Sanctum? <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it takes like 24 to 72 hours. But I, again, like it's a, a more advanced society, quote unquote, schmeins. <laughs> schmeins. But like what machine is doing this? We haven't seen any machines. Yeah, like they... Like I've always been saying, like some things are shockingly low tech, yeah, and then some things are shockingly high. Uh-huh. Not, not even like an electrophoresis just sitting there. <laughs> um, yeah. Shaheen, what were yours? Um, so Shade had uh, violated the touch move rule. <laughs> I don't know what that is. So the touch move rule is if you touch this piece, um, um. You have to move it in chess, in professional chess. If you touch a piece, and if you have, and it has that has a legal move, you have to move it. And if it's the opponent's piece, and you can possibly capture it, you have to capture it. 
Um, if you don't want to, you have to say I'm adjusting. You actually have to say like a French thing. I think it's je dois or something. Uh, so this that that tells your opponent that you're just moving the pieces to adjust them on the square. Otherwise, you've lost the game. Um, if you move a piece and then move it back, you lost the game. It's like an eight ball. So huh? it's like the eight ball of chess. Yeah. That is yeah, good to know. So, so he actually technically lost to Murphy. <laughs> well, maybe he will still lose to Murphy, and that was like a yeah, a hint, maybe hint. that was an Easter egg hint of <laughs> that you caught. <laughs> <laughs> is it subtlety or is it an accident? <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. That's the one hundred in a nutshell. <laughs> Yes. Um, so moving to our wrap up, what TV shows, movies, books? Oh, wait, I, I have I have a will actually oh, that okay. I feel is very important. Please go. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, the one thing that has bothered me, I think, throughout is like how everyone is completely chill about other people missing. Like whether in the beginning when it was like that I've decided oh, that no one on the 100 has like a developed like object permanence yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm like they have like the object permanence of a toddler. And for those of you who don't know, that's knowing an object still exists, even if it's hidden or missing. <laughs> So, because it always feels like the moment someone's gone or missing, like people are just kind of going on with their lives. But it's crazy. It, they're but they're supposed to be family and connected. Like, guy went missing and then nothing. Like, it was super weird. Like, even if they think she went with Clark and those guys, like it's they've still been gone for a while, and everyone's still kind of like trying to live a normal life. And like, why aren't they freaked out that like? People have shown up from another fucking dimension and that were invisible and taking people away. I wouldn't just be playing soccer and eating cookies. I would be a little fucking freaked out that they're coming for me next. Thank you. Like, why does, why do the Bardo Bardo bees, like, have all these guns when, like, literally who has visited them except for, like, like, a few people? Like, why why are they always, I get that they're preparing to fight a war, but, like, you can have an armory. You don't have to walk around with guns when, like, there's nobody around. <laughs> um, meanwhile, everyone on Sanctum's like, oh, invisible people. Does yeah, like, like, <laughs> that thing happened. Who cares? Boop, boop, boop. And it's like, and then, like, oh, our reactor almost melted down and everyone almost died. And blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just Nobody really, cares. like, no one cares about anything. And the yeah. other thing that I think is just funny to me is this description of the war to end all wars. And I always think of that as being this big, you know, big and massive and all that. But look at the numbers of what's left on this show. Mm-hmm. So it's like everyone yeah. who exists on Bardo and then everyone exists on like Sanctum and that's it. Like that's like a high school football game size of engagement, you know, mm-hmm. like <laughs> that's not very big. <laughs> you could do that in a room. like. <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, there's like 500 of us left. <laughs> what if What if we just don't? do war yeah like, like war this. against <laughs> war against who like exactly you know like war against your own minds i don't understand like the terminology if they're trying to transcend like that doesn't make sense to me you want to ascend or transcend to a higher self or whatever but there's also going to be this war like it like yeah. i would think transcendence would be leaving behind the violence but hey what do i know <laughs> i mean that's what the the speakers say i mean i i kind of have a feeling the 
the so-called war is going to take place inside a, like a digital reality, like inside a city of light. I hope so, um, or I'll be really disappointed. <laughs> and and I kind of wonder if there are people elsewhere that we weren't told about. Well, yeah. Yeah, but so. But yeah, no, those are good. Well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, wrap up? Yeah. Um, who wants to go first? I got nothing. So. Okay. <laughs> Not nothing? Nothing at all? No games? No books? Um, no. Nothing this week. How's your SimCity doing? Uh, great. I mean, I've um, mastered every specialization. Um, nice. Pretty much. Uh, my college town is doing pretty well. I built a space center. Ooh. There's, yeah, I, the traffic in my college town is weird, though. Um, I don't know what to do with it. Traffic is always weird. More roundabouts? More what? <laughs> roundabouts. Roundabouts? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> they solve <Amy>. every traffic <laughs> issue. <laughs> Amy, how about you? Um, sadly, like, I haven't gotten into watching anything, like, new, like, mm-hmm. any new shows. There's something weird about, like, quarantine and all of this where I'm, like, reverting back to, like, comfort things. Same. And it's like I can't – it's because I can't focus, you know? Like, I was watching – I think I was watching Money Heist or La Casa mm-hmm. de Papel. And, you know, like, I was like, I can't read. Like, <laughs> like I can't follow this right now. And so I kind of stopped and I tried to watch – oh, something else that was new that came out i think the last new show that i came out that i enjoyed was the outsider on hbo mm-hmm. um that was based on a stephen king um novel i, I what else my kid read dune um this will be my recommendation just because i love it <laughs> i love frank herbert's dune mm-hmm. um the book uh series and i convinced my teenage son to read it and it's a very dense book, but I think worth the read. And then my movie recommendation on that is to watch 19, the 1984 movie that David Lynch did of the book. Uh, it's terrible good. You know, like it's <laughs> like it has really nothing to do with the book. So if you love the book. Uh, uh, <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> I mean, but it's when I like, but I don't mind that sometimes because I also love Stephen King's The Shining and I love mm-hmm. Kubrick's The Shining and they have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Kubrick <laughs> often would take books and make it something else entirely. So that's kind of, um, and this though, he David Lynch, as weird as he is, tried to actually do a straightforward version of Dune, but it's such a um, a very dense book that's kind of hard to make into mm. a movie. Uh, but just, it's so cheesy good that it's one of my favorite all-time films, to be honest. <laughs> like, it, it's a young Kyle MacLachlan in it um, who plays Duke Leto Atreides. It's, it's basically, there's this planet that has spice that controls the universe um, and there's an, a government that kind of controls the spice flow. And the spice flow um, is necessary for space travel, uh, which, you know, for wormholes, there's like there's actual worms that they have in the spice and the spice creates wormholes. Um, and they have like two houses that kind of control like the planet. And there's the house Harkonnen and house Atreides. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a war between the two of those. Like I won't get into spoiling it. It's it's very, very dense, but it's it's good stuff. If you like sci-fi, it's classic. 
but the movie is over the top. Sting is in it in a fucking bikini that looks like wings. That's all like he's greased up and yeah, like so I, I highly recommend love it. that. <laughs> well, and um Denis Villeneuve, the director who did um oh god, why am I mind blinking? He did the most recent Blade Runner. Mhm. And he also did Arrival with Amy Adams and stuff like that. So he's kind of like a really good sci-fi director upcoming. He's making Dune. There's going to be a new Dune movie coming, I think, next year. That's exciting. I hope it doesn't get delayed. Yeah, I don't. I think they're done. I think they're in post-production of it Mm -hmm. because they've had like pictures um, of and there's a it's a really awesome cast. Uh, So, yeah, that's another reason why people should read and watch uh, Dune. Well, awesome. Um, I had two things. Um, I just started watching Never Have I Ever, um, which is adorable. Um, it just has like a super fun energy. Uh, it's about this Indian girl living in, I think, Californian suburban, suburbia. Um, and she's hilarious. And so she's like, she's trying to lose her virginity. (laughs) She's not good at that. Um, it's hilarious. Um, and then the other thing I saw last night, um, recommended by Cece, who's been on this podcast, Eurovision. I kind of was like, yeah, let me watch something silly. I need it right now. So this is Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. And it's, I would say it's like a, a typical Will Ferrell movie with a little bit more finesse. <laughs> okay. Um, and it was a delight. Like, I think I cried in it. <laughs> um, it's good. Everybody should. It's like funny and like surprisingly heartwarming. I've seen like a video of them performing one of the songs that they're performing in the Eurovision. That was hysterical. Like, it's, I think it was called The Volcano Man. I, uh-huh. I want to say. And I saw that clip. That's the only thing I've seen of it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is over the top ridiculous. I might have to watch this. Yeah, no, you have to. It is completely over the top ridiculous. I have seen some scenes from uh, Never Have I Ever, mm-hmm. and um, I thought it was really cool. It's like, uh, I relate to it from like a, um, you know, immigrant from Asia point of view, where mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like, yeah, dealing with like things, um, cultural aspects of like the old country or whatever, mm-hmm. that are just kind of funny now that you're in America and you just kind of have to deal with it and your mom, and yeah. Like your textbook being blessed so it can't touch the ground. Um, yeah. Things like that. It's, it's really oh, cute. Oh, is that, is that the series that Mindy Kaling like, is executive producing? I is think that so. Okay. I okay. Think so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely like um, on the Mindy project when she's, I think the pilot episode has like a few scenes of her as a kid. It completely has that energy. So it's like kind of nerdy kid, but like wants to be cool. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's everything for us today. So next episode will be 708. I can't remember the name of it, but um, we'll know it next time. So what is it? Uh, Acronon? I don't know. Oh, oh, right. It's Anaconda. (laughs) Anaconda? (laughs) Don't want none unless you got pounds, hon. So, um, again, reminder to tweet us questions or comments at again on Twitter. Um, so may we geek again. Bye. Take care. Bye.